If you go to the family reunion to find yourself a date, you might be able to be a hillbilly whore. If you go to the hardware store to buy kitchen utensils, <laughs> you might be a hillbilly whore. If you think human skin is the fashion choice, you might be a hillbilly whore. If you have a robot leg that runs by remote control, you might be in a shitty movie. Hillbilly Horror on this episode of Blue Comedy Com- I mean, Attack of the Killer Podcast! <laughs> yee <Yeah! laughs> Attention planet Earth and beyond! Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Howdy, y'all. It's time for our Hillbilly Horror Barbecue here at Attack of the Killer Podcast. So let's fire up that grill and watch out, watch out for those hard shell peppercorns. And now if you live in a run-down cabin in the woods and have never heard of our show, I'll catch you up. Attack of the Killer Podcast is a horror movie podcast that covers various movies. Uh, we are a group of friends that get together with a topic, which is Hillbilly Horror this episode. And we openly talk about movies within that topic. Now, there may be spoilers, so be warned. Attack of Killer Podcast is the inbred member of the Phantom Podcast Network. <laughs> the Phantom Podcast Network is an, is an awesome, is as awesome as going grocery shopping and finding fresh roadkill on the side of the road. There are many of our fellow cousins on the network... So check out the site at downrightcreepy.com backslash phantom. That's downrightcreepy.com backslash phantom. Don't you hate it when people uh, shamelessly beg for money or better yet bribe you to donate money to their cause? Man, I hate that. It sucks. So go visit our Patreon. Money you donate to our Patreon helps support the show. It helps us improve the show and keeps things going. And if you donate, you get several perks, such as bonus episodes, special videos, and so much more. So just go to patreon.com backslash AOTKP. Now, uh, I do have a very special announcement for this episode. Uh, Attack of the Killer Podcast is doing a contest. It's our first contest ever. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting, right? So throughout the, the month of February and March, we will be holding a contest where we'll be giving away an official Attack of the Killer Podcast t-shirt. So to enter, you must leave a review of our show on iTunes. And at the end of March, we will draw a name from those reviews and announce the winner on the following show. <clears throat> so just leave us a review on iTunes. And that energy in a chance to win the sh- win the T-shirt. Easy. So is easy peasy. Uh, and since we're all, since we're on the topic of, of iTunes, while you're there, uh, go ahead and click subscribe uh, if you like our show. It's uh, the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do. Even so. if you don't like it, please subscribe. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I delete that shit later. I just subscribe. So speaking of our Patreon. We have a new Patreon subscriber, everybody! His name is Roman Doppelfeld. Close. Feld. Doppelfeld. 
Yep. I know. I keep wanting to say field, even though it's right in front of me. So, thank you so much, Roman, for donating. That is awesome. So awesome. Uh, it just it just warms our hearts to know that you are listening. Um, but it uh, is even cooler that you donate. So, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, I hope you enjoy your perks. One of which is this particular shout out. So, shout out to Roman. Roman. Um. And one of the many perks that you get, Roman, is you get to ask a question of us uh, that we will read and answer on the show. Now, as of this recording, we haven't heard back from you on that, so let us know what your question is, because we'd love to hear from you again. So, so that's that. But he gets the video updates. He's signed yeah, up he gets high those enough. Sweet-ass videos, yeah. Yeah, he's even commenting on them and stuff. It's, oh, that's right. Them. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, that one you did about your effects and stuff. He wants more. I know. Thank, thank you, Roman. And I uh, do plan on doing more of the uh, ones on special effects too, based on uh, based on your comments. So there you go. <clears throat> so now it's time we start getting into things here. So it's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. Not saying his family is inbred. But all of his cousins call him the Ant Eater. Brian Clark, everybody. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, hello. <laughs> this backwoods cannibal lives on his own because he's fed up with people. Jason Bollinger. Hey, what's up? Get it fed? I, get, uh, I know. I... Okay. <laughs> After this redneck flesh eater dumped his last girlfriend... He wiped. Matt Foy, everyone. Oh, up the mule, He brews his own special brand of moonshine. It's lemon meringue flavored. Tad Good. <laughs> Hello. It's <laughs> a little inside joke there. <clears throat> and much like Dorothy, she realized she wasn't in Kansas anymore. Lions and tigers and inbred mutant cannibal hillbillies. Oh my. Terry Turford, everyone. <laughs> Hello. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. I kind of want to jump straight into some killer news because we got some interesting things to talk about on this portion of killer news. So let's do that, shall we? It's time for killer news. Now it's time for killer news. Ripped straight from the headlines on attack. Is there any um, news to actually cover before we get into the meat and potatoes of what I want to discuss during Killer News? Yeah, I thought Terry. I thought there was something. Tad did. Uh, They released a picture of Jamie Lee Curtis today. Oh, at Laurie Strode. Yeah, with her long hair. Sweet. She looks hot. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, and then there was, um, other stuff. <laughs> There's all kinds of great pictures coming from the set, from, um, yeah, there are. Pe- people are, I mean, they have the original, um, clapboard, which is awesome they're using on the set. Yes, so awesome. That's cool. And I think, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis actually owns it, so she brought it, and I, I saw that they were using it today. Um, nice. And of course, there has been there's like one sort of Sasquatch like picture of Michael Myers taken from the distance. It's like where's where's Waldo? Sort of 
you know, a white blob, but you know who it is. You just can't right, quite yeah. see him. So I think that's sort of good. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily need to see him right away, right after they start shooting. But yeah, it's exciting to see the Haddonfield logos all over everything, and the you know the cop cars yeah. and the high school and everything. It's like this is actually fucking happening, guys. Finally, finally. <laughs> Ted, where do you get your Halloween updates at mostly? Oh. There's several places all um, over the place. Yeah. Oh yeah, but I mean, there I'm in like way too many Facebook groups and people <laughs> share them every two <laughs> minutes. But uh, mostly, I see stuff on Instagram and Twitter is where I think people are are actually like taking you know pictures from the set that they're probably not supposed to from their phones and stuff. So, but Blumhouse has been updating quite a bit um, on yeah. their Instagram of like official pictures from the set, which is really cool. Awesome. Awesome. After all of Sam's stories from the set of Ghostbusters uh, about a year ago, it's uh, I-, I wonder how many people are getting shit canned for these things right. coming out. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yep. All right. Cool. Well, <clears throat> what I want to talk about in Killer News is it was uh, in a, an exciting week for everybody last week. Um, Everybody on this podcast was out of town, doing different things. It was exciting. We did stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it was Jason, myself, and Tad. We went to Panic Fest and uh, a horror City. film festival in Kansas City. And then Terry, Brian, and, and Matt, you went too, is that right? Yep. I, yep, I was there. Okay. Went to the B-Fest celebration. Which is where again? Uh, Chicago. Well, it's uh, in Evanston, Evanston. actually. It's on the uh, Northwestern University campus. So, I want to talk about that stuff, because I want to hear all about B-Fest. <laughs> Mike has a million questions. I do. <laughs> and and I'm pretty sure you guys want to hear how Panic Fest went. So, um, first off, like, so how was B-Fest? Awesome. Sweet. Next question. I had a really good time. I had a really good time this year. Cool. Yeah. Cool. It was a solid lineup of, of movies. For those who, I guess, especially especially Sergeant Peppers, we all. Oh, shut up! <laughs> I've heard nothing good about that screening. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, like I know it's been brought up on the show before, but uh, Brian, if you want to maybe uh, clue the listeners in at home on what B Fest is. It is a 24-hour B-movie marathon held in the uh, Norris Center on Northwestern University campus in Evanston. Every Usually it's the last weekend in January. And uh, you go, you sit in a theater that by hour six or seven kind of smells like Joe Don Baker farted into an old sock full of onions. <laughs> but... Because oh. uh, <laughs> it's... The description you know, just kept going. Oh. It's... 200 nerds sitting in a room eating junk food and watching crappy movies for 24 solid hours. Without showering. Yeah. Or probably putting on deodorant. It it is quite the endurance test and and that's just that's part of what I love about it. The fact that it's such an endurance test. Like I I think if there were breaks it wouldn't be as much fun but it's kind of a badge of honor to say yeah I sat through all this. I mean generally you take a nap somewhere in there like on the floor but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. One room one screen. 
Yes. Yeah, yep. It, it's actually in a lecture hall. It's not a movie theater per se. It's just a big lecture hall with a drop-down projection screen. But it's a big-ass projection screen, so it's essentially like being in a theater with really uncomfortable seats. Uh. <laughs> Was it a pretty big turnout? Yeah, they sold oh, yeah, out. Sold out. Yeah. Sweet. Good for them. They, they sell out pretty much every year. What year is this? This, ooh, I don't 81, know for sure. I think, they, I think they found it in 81, is that Holy right? Hell. Holy shit, yeah. really? Early to mid-80s, yeah. It's been going on for a long time. It wasn't always at Northwestern. They used to just do it at a little theater, and I think originally it was only like 6 or 12 hours, and it just kept snowballing until it's become the monster it is now. Wow, that's impressive. Holy crap, I, did, I had no idea. I assumed this was like maybe 10 years tops, but wow. No, because... Matt and I have been going since 2002 with, oh, you know, okay. occasionally circumstances require you to skip a year here or there, but I've been to most of them so see since then. So what was the lineup like? What kind of movies did you, did you see this year? <laughs> no, let Terry field some of these. I don't want to talk about it. You know, co-opt everything. First of all, I just want to say that you guys would be proud of me because you know uh-huh. how bad I am at sleeping through movies, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, I only ever slept, like, on purpose. Whoa! <laughs> Good job, I took I took, like, a two-hour nap during, like, after Plan 9, which, by the way, Plan 9 from Outer Space at B-Fest is awesome. Like, cause th- with the audience participation. Sure. It was so much fun. But, um... Well, that's some, of the, I, that's some of the meat and potatoes I want to get into, because, like, I know you... I know you, Terry, like, you're kind of, you're on that fence of bad movies. I know Troll 2 is, is a is a fave of yours. Which played. Which played. I know how awesome was that, how awesome was getting to see that. It was pretty fun. It wasn't one of the best ones, though, by far. Like, oh, okay. Maybe just because I've seen it so much, but. Gotcha. But then I also know you don't have the highest of tolerance for bad cinema, because I quite often <laughs> torture you with uh, certain titles. <laughs> Um, well, but these are, you know, it's so much more fun because people are just constantly riffing on everything. And so even when the movie's complete shit, like you're still laughing your ass off at people screaming out stuff at the screen. What was the highlight for you, Terry? What was the, you, you feel the best, the best one? Oh, God. I mean, it was pretty awesome watching Tremors on the big screen and having everyone just, you know, no one was ragging on it because it was bad. Like, everyone legitimately, legitimately loved that movie, so yeah, that was pretty fun. But as far as, like, bad? Oh, God. I mean, the first one was pretty awesome. The, <laughs> what, was the, the fir- what was the first one? Double Trouble, which has the Barbarian Brothers. I've never seen one of their movies. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> but it was amazing. Like, so cheesy buddy cop movie. It was awesome. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so was there, was there, like, was, was that, was there, like, a particular movie that you realize... Oh, this is super shitty, but it was still a lot of fun. Like, if, if it was one I made you watch by yourself, you'd hate me? Um, yeah. Uh, she. <laughs> 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 I would never watch that. I'm, I don't think I could sit through it alone, ever. 
I mean, it was just crazy. I mean, that was probably a crowd favorite, though. That was the second one we watched when the energy was still super high. But it was just fucking all over the place. <laughs> but, yeah. Without the riffing, I don't know if I could do it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that one is... I hadn't seen She for probably 20 years. It was uh, uh, Joe Bob's Monster Vision at one point, so I saw it there. But I had... Uh, it, it's... It's loosely based on the H. Ryder Haggard novel, She, which has had several other film adaptations that are more faithful. Well, anything would be more faithful than this. But this is like a fucked up post-apocalyptic Italian barbarian art film version of She. It's awesome. like if you took an eight-year-old and like strapped him into the clockwork orange chair for like three solid days with nothing but Italian road warrior and Conan knockoffs and then gave him a like Scarface pile of cocaine and then asked him to explain all of the movies he had just seen to you at the same time. That is how they wrote the script for she, I think it's just (laughs) relentlessly exhaustingly strange, but I quite like it. (laughs) Awesome. It was a lot of fun, and it, it spawned more than a couple uh, callbacks that persisted throughout several movies, which oh is always a theme there. That's yeah, cool. there's like this chant, they just chant, she, 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 in the movie, and so then everything that like rhymed with that or was close to that, like people just started chanting random words the whole movie and the rest of the night. <laughs> awesome. So Matt, was what was a favorite for you? I my favorite experiences were just watching the crowd just become more and more flustered slash defeated. So I, <laughs> I really <laughs> so I really enjoyed uh, Sergeant Pepper's, not the movie, but the experience. Oh my god! Um, just watching people just eventually break down and just start shouting at the screen. People were screaming like, <laughs> "Make it stop!" <laughs> and and I really liked. Uh, we did the Wicker Man remake as well, so I enjoyed watching oh, nice. people's frustration with that. So as oh, I hate yeah. that movie, but I do. I get pleasure out of the <laughs> out of the experience. <laughs> Yeah, I slept through the middle of that one on purpose. <laughs> Woke up just in time for the bees. Yep. Nice. The bees. <laughs> There's well, also this really fun. Apparently, it's a another tradition that they do right before um, Plan Nine every year. There's this little short film called The Wizard. Was it The Wizard of Space and Time? Is that <gasps> the Wizard of Space Speed and, time. Speed and Time. Yeah, yeah, I love that short. And it was so much fun, like, seeing everyone, like, they have a big group of people go up to the stage, and they lay on their backs and stomp their feet when he's running. <laughs> and then um, there was this other guy who wore, like, a wizard's robe. I don't know if he does that every year, but he was, every time the wizard would, like, run across the, the movie screen, he would run across the stage in front of the screen. Nice. And then they play it, they always at the end they apparently always play it backwards and reverse <laughs> and so you know just repeated they, that it, it was a lot of fun to, the print has sadly disintegrated oh. but they when when b-fest was all analog not only did they play it backwards they played it upside down and backwards <laughs> the second time <laughs> that movie um we watched that in a, in one of my classes at the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. Uh, we 
we had a teacher. We we had this teacher. I can't remember exactly what the class was about, but the teacher was obsessed with with sublim, subliminal messaging, and we did a whole thing one uh, at one point in the class about sublim, subliminal messaging. Um, you know, and if you could find subliminal messaging and advertising, you and brought it in, you could get like extra credit. That was like in the early '90s, where Pepsi was doing all these different soda can designs, and one of them was like um, neon stripes all over the can. And if you found the right cans um, and you stacked them on top of each other, then <clears throat> the neon the neon stripes would spell out sex down the side. Um, but the Wizard of Speed and Time uh, has subliminal messaging in it. So what we did is we watched it straight through, and there's moments where people are laughing and whatnot um, at, at the movie, and then we went back and watched that same scene in slow motion, and at that moment where the whole class is laughing, there's a message that pops up on the screen that, screen that says, Laugh Now. Huh. And it's there for like a split second, so you don't see it. So that that movie's littered with like subliminal, subliminal messaging. <laughs> and that like I've seen that movie literally dozens of times now, <laughs> and yeah. it's amazing. I've never caught that. But I mean, granted, it you're not supposed to catch it, but you'd yeah. think with that many repeat viewings. Well, there's a lot of quick imagery that goes on in that in that short too. Yeah. So. It's kind of part of the deal. So, Brian, what was a highlight for you at B-Fest this year? Uh, I mean, I guess some of the movies that I genuinely like, Tremors, which is weird. They've kind of gone to a, I suppose it's just the generation gap. Like, when we started going, we were much closer to the age of the, the student organization that puts it on. Yeah. And, you know, it was... 16 years ago that we started going so you know people then their idea of b movies was still a lot of 50s atomic bug movies and older mm, things and now yeah. it seems like it's just getting to be like any movie that's 30 years old and has more than five minutes of dialogue between explosions is a b movie which is how you wind up with something like tremors being there because that's a genuinely great movie yeah Technically, it is you know it's it's one of the best B movies ever made. It still you know has that fifties monster movie heart. But yeah, um, so yeah, w watching Tremors there, even though it was kind of weird, like why are we watching this good movie? Um, that wound up being a highlight. The Barbarian Brothers are always a treat. <laughs> Hearing the audience's sanity collectively snap at the exact same time at the ending of She when they escape <laughs> the villain's palace. And then everyone realized that there was still more movie left. <laughs> like that, that them escaping wasn't the end. There was going to be a battle sequence after that. You could just hear like people's minds breaking like wet celery. It was great. Um, and uh, towards the middle of the run, in like the three o'clock in the morning slot, they played the Crippled Avengers, which oh, was a hoot. Cool, nice. Awesome. Uh, so, how many films in total were there? Mm, probably twelve. I guess I don't have the list right in front of me, but I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I suppose. 12. Yeah, I've got that. Let me give, give me just a sec. I've got that in front of me. And it, cool. it things because you know I was talking earlier about the wizard, the print falling apart, and everything's gone digital now. And and sadly, uh, one of the best movies they've ever played there, King Kong versus Godzilla, was the harbinger of the digital age. That was the first movie ever got played on DVD. Mm. Um, as when you rent a film from these companies, they quit sending you 35 mil prints and start sending you DVDs. It's all kind of gone that route. And 
they used to play a lot of really weird shorts that just you don't don't exist on DVD, or at least not. I mean, I, I, I swear they just sent away for a box of random shit, and they would send them all. You know, there's a bizarre French one called Gavotte, which is just two midgets fighting over a couch cushion. There were a lot of sort of disturbing things from like the 30s and 40s involving dancing chimpanzees, um, and, and you just don't you don't get those random little bits of oddness anymore so that they play more full-length movies now they used to dedicate like a good half hour to the shorts at least but yeah um and you know it's kind of sad like sometimes they'd play reels out of order by accident or like hearing the audience cheer when the film would break during a particularly shitty movie that everyone hated (laughs) that was always fun but now you get get sort of the digital age version of that with things like uh at one point, the computer crashed and had to reboot. That they were playing because like, some of the stuff even got played off like Amazon and that, like oh, wow. Amazon digital video. So yeah, every once in a while, something like that will fuck up. But the, I think the best digital age fuck up so far was in I want to say it was 2010, maybe they played The Room, and for some reason they could not figure out how to turn off the subtitles on the DVD. <laughs> so all the god awful love songs in the movie turned into sing-alongs. <laughs> Brilliant, awesome. Yeah. 15 movies plus Wizard this year. Yeah, so nice. definitely they've skewed towards playing just almost nothing but except with the exception of the Wizard because I think there'd be a fucking riot if they didn't play that. Um <laughs> And yeah, it's, it's it's all full length now. It sounds like Plan Nine is a is kind of a ritual every year too, from the sound of it. Yep, that's midnight every year, and there okay. are you know, the whole thing is just. Now has that grown into like Rocky Horror, where um, there's actually like there's yeah. been developed lines to say and whatnot. Yeah, it, it's not nearly to the extent of the script for Rocky Horror. There are sure. probably. 10 or 15 specific things that you're supposed to do. And then the rest of it is just, you know, the, the open mic garage band MST that it always is. But cool. cool. And every, every time there's a UFO on screen, people throw paper plates up in the air. So the, nice. the auditorium is just absolutely filled with flying paper plates whenever there's a UFO. Oh, that's amazing. That's going to be people my... put all. Sorry. Go ahead. A lot of people put a lot of effort into like drawing and like putting logos and stuff on them. So it, um, yeah, there's every once in a while you get a few collectibles that you can take home with you, but some of these are really, really good looking. Cool, cool. And that was going to be my next question: if there's like any physical things that are done audience participation wise, because I think Brian, you've told me before that they would roll out tires when there's like a car accident yeah, there, in a film or there's, something. There are three like a lot of times people run up on the stage with hand like handmade signs and things during movies there wasn't any of that this year but there are three like constant every year gags that show up and they're always crowd favorites there's the tire that rolls across the stage whenever there's a car crash there's a dummy that gets like thrown into the air in front of the screen from off stage or somebody falls off a building <laughs> and then there's slide there's slide whistle guy oh nice who, he, he's more of like a joke sniper or she I guess it could be a girl where you know, he there's usually only like maybe one slide whistle moment every movie or so just to you know, so they stay fresh and it's always funny. But if something, you know, characters uh 
expectations are dashed or somebody gets shot down after a sexual advance or something like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or if they get aroused, it goes up. Yeah. <laughs> we were we were missing him. He must have left early because um, on Saturday they showed the movie called The Villain. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> That was awesome. The Villain. Is that the um, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Um, yes. Oh, I love that movie. And, and Kirk Douglas. Yeah. It was insane. <laughs> I mean, awesome. Insanely awesome. Oh, it is, it is an insane movie. It's, have, um, it's a Warner Brothers um, cartoon. Yeah, it, it really is. And then you have What's-His-Face. What's-His-Name, Brian? Peter. Which? The Indian chief. Oh, Paul Lynn. Paul, Paul, Paul Lynn. That's right. I forgot yes. about that. <laughs> so, so that was... A, we were wanting him to just play that every time, like Paul Lynn came on in red face, but, <laughs> but it, it was, was it was still funny. But as racist and offensive as Paul Lynn's character in that is, he gets one great line that the audience just went nuts over when he goes, "Oh, piss on the white man!" <laughs> <laughs> and Wh- whiskey the horse was definitely a low level oh, MVP of the fest. For yeah. Sure. A star That's was born that day. <laughs> well, awesome. Speaking of pissing on the white man, it was a very political fest this year. This is the first time I've been there since the election. A lot of a lot of Trump jokes. Though. Probably at least one every ten minutes or so. It seemed like at times. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my. Guess that's to be expected. Yeah. <clears throat> the state of things nowadays. So. Because I think he was inaugurated like the weekend of the fest, or very close to it last year. So, oh yeah, yeah. it would have been. Yeah, hmm. I got what Tim said. Cool. Any other cool stories from from uh, from B Fest? Probably none that are movie related. Just tourism stuff running around. But cool. All right. Well, definitely sounds like it was a lot of fun. Man, I want to go so bad. I want to go so bad, but it's and yeah. it's ending up on the same weekend as Panic Fest. Yeah, yeah. you would love it there. I totally <laughs> would love it, you know. But I got a got a little loyalty to Panic Fest and basically anything that goes on in KC. So, um, so now we can turn it over to the other half of the podcast crew about Panic Fest. Uh, Jason, you want to explain what Panic Fest is? It's a film festival. <laughs> Oh, awesome! Right, uh, <laughs> what? It's a it's a film festival. There's vendors and sometimes guests, and mm-hmm. it's in a really cool theater in North KC. So when we say film festival, though, like it, it's probably it's a little different than your standard film festival because film festivals are like movies that are submitted, um, and there's usually like awards, and a lot of times you know you got like. You know, a bunch of shorts, a bunch of features. Um, <clears throat> you know, on usually on on more of a uh, uh, in more. I don't want to say independent because the films are still independent, but an even more independent level right. than. But uh, doesn't like uh, Tim at Panic Fest? Don't he usually seek out these movies? Yeah, I think they said this year they actually opened it up to Film Freeway to get submissions and yeah. Uh, and the last couple of years and this year there's really only a short films block Saturday and Sunday morning, which is like what half an hour to an hour or something and like kinda. an hour block and yeah. and that's kind of it. The rest is 
fucking feature films. And we're and we're not talking, you know, we're talking like good quality feature films though too, you know. Yeah. Like last year Train to Busan played. Um you know, this year uh Mom and Dad played, which is the which is the new Nicolas Cage movie. Um and uh and you said, like, you know, they usually get, like, guests and stuff, and there's a vendor room. So, past two years, we've gotten to set up in the vendor room as Prescribed Films and Attack of the Killer podcast. Um, and, like, uh, this year, their guests were um, um, Adam, Adam Green, Green. <laughs> Adam Joe Green Lynch. and Joe Lynch. And they showed mayhem uh joel lynch's new movie and victor crowley adam green's new movie and then they also did a live uh recording of the movie crypt their podcast so that was really cool there were lots of other guests too they had the generation y podcast there did a live show and they had several uh directors of these bigger films too there was a film that closed friday called the Low Life, it's called Low Life, and they had the director and a f- producer and a couple of the cast members there, and it's it's pretty awesome. But it's yeah. it's different because it's it's more features, yeah, and bigger features. It's pretty neat. I wished we could have saw it, but uh, um, the Cured was there too. Yeah, and that looked fucking awesome. A lot of good films. Mm-hmm. We have a good we have a good time anytime we go to Kansas City because you know we know a lot of a lot of the people in the local horror community down there. So it's kind of a reunion for us when we go down because we've been down to so many things like Crypticon and and uh, Slaughter Movie House nights and stuff like that. And so it's good good to get to see all all of our Kansas City horror friends and um, <clears throat> one of the uh, one of our brother podcasts, Nightmare Junkhead, um, did a live show there as well. Did, and that's, did that's like a game show, which I played and won. Totally won, trivia nerd. <laughs> it's also where the kind of headquarters of the Phantom Podcast Network is. Yeah. The guy who runs this festival also runs the Phantom Podcast Network. Yeah. So it's good to get some FaceTime with the boss. That's right. <laughs> and then, you know, and Tad went with us. And so, Tad, this was your first year at uh, Panic Fest. Uh, what are your thoughts? It was a lot of fun. I wish I could have afforded to see, or, I mean, if I could go back and I had more time, I'd see more movies. But what I did see was awesome. Um, it was their community, their horror community in Kansas City is just so welcoming and awesome. Everybody seems to embrace each other and they show the love and just, I don't know, just something about it was awesome that I didn't feel like there was any ego in the room. Everybody was just cool with each other and wanted to, we all wanted to be there for the same reason or for our love for horror, so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, we didn't get a chance to see a ton of films. Uh, usually, we, we uh, like last year, we went to the uh, short film block, but we didn't get to go to that this year. Um, we definitely went last year because we actually had a film in the short film block last year. But uh, um, So I was a little bummed we missed the, the short film 
um, short films this year. But what we did get to see for films, I thought was pretty solid. Uh, Jason, what was your favorite movie we saw at the fa- at uh, Panic Fest? I would have to say that it was Mayhem. I'm with you, Mayhem. Just because um, it's a amped up movie. I mean, it's it's designed. I mean, the whole premise of the movie is uh, <clears throat> this, uh, this strain of toxin that removes inhibitions. Yep. And people go kind of ape shit, and they act on their id, and it's yeah. nuts, and it's badass, and it's high energy and joe lynch was it's, there and he introduced it and talked after and he was full of energy and amped <laughs> up and the crowd was fucking into it like nobody's business it was like the perfect big crowd party movie Mm-hmm. dad you were gonna say something oh i was just gonna say it's everything that i that um belco experiment wish, wishes it was yeah exactly that was totally 100 percent my thought i really liked like belco experiment but once i saw mayhem I was like this is everything i wanted to see in belco experiment it's like <clears> if <throat> the uh virus from 28 days later got into an office building basically and the office building was quarantined for like eight hours yeah so it's like a mixture of yeah uh 28 days later and belco experiment in that way so and, shivers, kind of, or no rape slugs. It's a virus. <laughs> it also sounds like if the purge was actually good. Yeah, it yeah. is kind of have a purge quality to it, and it's it's kind of a cathartic film, especially anybody who's ever worked for corporate America. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, a lot of great the, message. A lot of great messages about corporate America in there, and and uh, so yeah, and it's it's really cathartic in there. And it's Joe Lynch, too, so there's a lot of, like, nods to things that he loves. And, you know, since he's so like-minded like the rest of us, uh, it you know, it's fun seeing those those little hidden tributes throughout the film. Yeah, I'm looking and, forward to catching this one. And oh, it will be on Sh- Shudder by this week, I believe. Mm. Oh, it is coming to Shudder? Nice. Even and better. And Stephen Young and Joe Lynch recorded an exclusive live um, commentary for it that will be only on Shutter. <gasps> cool, Sweet. awesome. Yeah, I just I was listening to the movie Crypt today, and they were talking about that. And uh, I think it comes maybe the end of this week, I believe. Maybe this weekend it gets put up there. And um, I don't remember the code, but if you listen to the movie Crypt, they have a free code for a month of um, free Shutter. So. Yep. Yeah. If you're not subscribing for some reason, you should. But if you're not, you can get a free month, and then you'll enjoy your month, and you'll become a subscriber anyway. So exactly. I can't wait for that. Even though I bought I bought the Blu-ray, and I've already listened to uh, Joe Lynch and his DP's commentary, which is still awesome. Um, he told the same story on the uh, in the commentary that he told at the Q and A, which I thought was awesome. Um, talking about uh, the the coffee mug and how like the coffee mug uh, is yellow and it has like a black stripe on it and that is a nod to Bruce Lee's outfit in um, in what was it, Game of Death set the right did I get the title right I believe yes, so yeah so it's a total nod to Bruce Lee 
so it's like little shit like that, which which makes the also makes the movie even more fun. Um, but uh, yeah, and it's it's already out in stores. I was at Walmart uh, a couple nights ago, and uh, I saw it on the shelf there, and I almost kind of wanted to buy it again just to support uh, just support sales on this on this Blu-ray because it's a great great movie and everybody needs to see it. So. It's definitely the favorite of, of mine as well from, from the weekend. <clears throat> Tad, is it your favorite too, or did you have a different one? I would have to say that was my favorite. Um, it's, I mean, I had already seen Victor Carley. I enjoy the hell out of that too. Yeah. But I sort of, I when I saw that they were playing Mayhem, I had intended on seeing it earlier, and then I saw that he would be at Panic Fest. I'm like, oh, why would I watch it now? I'm going to wait to experience it the first time with the crowd and the director. And, of course, that's going to add to your experience. But um, I came home and I'm like, I can't wait to show other people who haven't seen this movie. And then, you know, I can't wait to show this to them. And then I saw that it was going to be on Shutter. I was like, oh, absolutely perfect. So, Yeah, abs- yeah, totally. And, um, I, and I love how just every, how low-key everything is, when it, especially when it came to Adam and Joe. Um, their table was never super crazy, so when you went through the line, you got some real awesome FaceTime. I got a chance to ask Joe Lynch some questions about Mayhem and, and talk to Adam Green a bit about about his stuff. And um, But also, like, Friday, you know, we get set up and we're in the vendor room for a while, and it, and at one point we leave, for, we leave the vendor room for something. I don't remember. But they're just hanging out in front of the theater is Joe Lynch and Adam Green. And Green's sitting there in a chair holding his dog Arwen, so... So Which, can I can I just say that that is my favorite thing from you guys posting on Facebook <laughs> this weekend? I want to snuggle Adam Green's dog a whole bunch. It is a cutie. It is definitely a cute dog. You definitely didn't want to uh, snuggle it during the movie crypt, though. No. So, like Joe Lynch was eating like uh, what was it? Thai Spicy food? noodles. Spicy noodles, and the and Arwen would just stare him down. There's, so <laughs> there's a video of them on Twitter doing the Lady in the Tramp. Yeah. For real, for real. <laughs> so he's be- he's feeding this little tiny dog these spicy noodles. So throughout all of movie crip, just <laughs> they're talking, and Adam Green will just interrupt that Arwen farted again, and just like <laughs> the dog's farting through the whole show, <laughs> just yeah. totally stinking everybody on stage out. It was hilarious. Oh, good stuff. Anything else you guys want to add about Panic Fest? It was fun. It was great, and hope to go back. Um, they, I don't know, just being there sort of um, gave me the kick in the ass I need to start doing. I don't know, get get my ass in gear for the Snake Alley Festival film and other stuff. It just sort of puts you in that mindset that you know, it, 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 there is fun stuff about events you know it, it's not uh sometimes i i dread looking forward to things and <laughs> i don't i don't know it sort of was refreshing so awesome good glad you had a good time man thanks for having me you bet yeah we got some tad time that's yeah. one of my favorite parts <laughs> and they have a really good restaurant across the street called Jimmy no Pons. god uh, damn it <laughs> they're so polite and 
All I gotta say is pay with the debit card. Mike nearly killed the uh, cashier on our way out of Kansas City. We made the whole trip fine without any confrontations until we were literally leaving. Stopped to get sandwiches, and this poor teenager almost met his demise over $7. Little fucking Justin Bieber didn't want to give me back my change. Anyways. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I know you said, but we did, we did, or said something about it. I was only half paying attention, but yeah, we got to do a little segment on the Nightmare Junkhead, and that's coming yep. out soon, too. Mm-hmm. You'll hear us got on to Nightmare talk Junkhead. To those guys and we cool. recorded in a flower cooler. It was cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Airtight. Yep. So yeah, so that uh, that was our weekend. It was just cool. We all split up and went and did cool stuff. Yeah, we both, the whole gang went to film festivals. Yep, it was. That's just awesome. It's just that yours played good movies. <laughs> true, that's true. Yeah, but we only ended up watching three out of the whole weekend. We just watched three movies. Um, I would love to just sit there and watch nothing but shit for 24 hours. It just sounds great. Oh, you mean like you do at home all the time? But with a crowd. Oh, right. Uh The way it's intended. Do you have to pay for each individual screening at Panic Fest? Yeah, that's that's kind of the bummer. Or you can buy a day pass or a How much are the day passes, though? A lot. Yeah, I'd imagine, because movies are 10 bucks a piece. So you should come to B-Fest, the whole thing's 40 bucks. Yeah, I know. I know. You can I... use you you can use Movie Pass on on um at Panic Fest though. Oh, you did get that figured out. I mean, it was my app that screwed up, but there is you oh. you could do it. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I just thought that was sort of nice because most festivals will say no, it's a separately ticketed event. You know. Nice. Okay. That's good to know. Man, I got to get on that. Yeah. Damn it. All right, well, we should probably get into, uh, what's the topic again? Uh, Hillbilly Horror. You don't remember that intro, you freakazoid? <laughs> that was Jeff Foxworth, oh, that right. wasn't me. That wasn't you. <laughs> if you don't remember what the topic of the podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> you might be insane, Mike. Um, <clears throat> all right, so, uh, yeah, so Hillbilly Horror. Uh, who wants to start us off? Oh, I'll... Uh... I'll bring home the bacon, shall I? Hey, I <laughs> Just because I want to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies, Razorback. It's fucking awesome. It is awesome. Uh, who who here were first timers for? I know Terry hadn't seen it before. Anyone else? This is the first time viewing for. First, first time here. First time. I, I haven't seen not it since, since high school. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say the same thing. Not since high school. So it's almost was like the first time. So this this movie is the reason I own a region two DVD player, a region free DVD player. Like I have this, and I have the UK Flash Gordon because it has a Brian Blessed commentary on it. But we're not here to talk about Flash Gordon. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I wish that this would get a decent, like you know, if Arrow would pick it up or somebody would put out a kick-ass Blu-ray with, uh, you know, a commentary track and stuff. I'd like to hear more about the behind the scenes. But you yeah. can get it through Warner Archive. So if you want a physical copy, they're out there. Um, it's just crazy the, that it hasn't had like a really kick-ass release yet. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's a rights issue or what, because a lot of exploitation movies have, are, you know, were tied up for a long time. Some of them are really hard to get a hold of, but most of them you can get a decent copy now. This uh, Road Games, which is on Shutter, but it's like a god awful VHS transfer. Like I, for some reason, neither of those two movies have gotten much uh, home video love. It was on VHS in the states because I have the VHS tape too. But yeah, um, yeah. But anyway. The, uh, the story behind Razorback um, is it, it's based off a novel by the same name by a dude named Peter Brennan, which was just a crappy Jaws cash-in novel. And except instead of a giant shark, it's a gigantic Razorback pig, like the size of a rhinoceros. And uh, so it, the movie opens with Jake Cullen uh, is babysitting his grandson and is putting the kid to bed. And here's this noise outside, and this fucking giant pig just comes tearing through his house. Uh, eats the kid on the way through, like just snags him out of the cradle and runs off into the night, you know, tears a gas main open and the house explodes, just wrecks this dude's entire life. So he gets put on trial for the murder of his grandson because nobody believes him that there's a fucking 4,000 pound Razorback just charging around the outback. Um, A animal rights activist named Beth Winters goes to Australia to investigate kangaroo killing uh, and and a lot of the stuff around the the kangaroo and that I mean that that is a real thing like they do uh, call kangaroos every year a lot of uh, there are licensed kangaroo shooters like uh, Mick from um, Wolf Creek he's a roo shooter which is why nobody thinks it's weird that he's just wandering around in the outback with a gun mm. uh, but she goes to investigate uh, kangaroo killings and and animal rights shenanigans and ends up crossing a couple of Roo shooters named Benny and Dicko Baker, these really weird ass brothers who are really the ones who put this movie in the realm, I think, of yep. backwoods hillbilly horror, which is why oh, I definitely. suggested this one in the first place. And uh, they they run her off the road one night and are just about to rape her when the pig shows up and they run away and it eats her. And then her husband comes looking for her and things go badly for everyone involved. Um, this is one of the first, I think it was the second feature film by Russell Mulcahy, but he was primarily a music video director. He did stuff for like Duran Duran and that. Yeah. So the music, the, the movie has a very surreal music video quality to it, mm-hmm. but it, it, instead of it being annoying, it just adds to the atmosphere. Yeah. Like the out, Outback he, through Mulcahy's lens just looks like this bizarre, hostile almost alien landscape with these weird flares shooting through the sky for no reason and cars just hung up in trees and yeah uh, there's one point where the husband is the the husband goes out kangaroo shooting with benny and dicko because he he's doesn't come right out and say who he is he's pretending to be like a canadian tourist to try to get them to open up to him and so they take him out kangaroo hunting and he they shoot a kangaroo, but apparently rigor mortis makes the meat too tough to butcher. So they usually shoot him and cripple him, and then come back later and kill him and you know hack him up while they're still alive. But he just can't have that and runs out and kills it and puts it out of his misery. So they just leave him there and uh, like here, skin this. We'll be back in a few hours. Don't go walking around. But a herd of regular sized razorbacks chases him off into the woods, and so he's spends that night and the next day stumbling around the desert and hallucinates being chased by a horse skeleton monster that comes up out of the ground in front of him and all this just 
Mm-hmm. Weird, weird shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy because it's like the the Razorback itself is is like is like a secondary storyline of this whole thing. It seems like it's so much more about like the 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 uh, redneck butcher guys and um, and our, our main protagonist. That whole chunk right there in the middle of him just trying to survive, making his way back from the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and it, that that part of it is is even worse in the novel. That like the pig is hardly ever there. Wow, and it, it's more about like diamond smugglers, which is kind of a riff on the whole Jaws uh, crooked realtor, mm. like mafia real estate scam that's going on in the book. And the Benny and Dicko are compl- and and Jake Cullen for that matter are all additions by Everett DeRoche, the the screenwriter who also wrote Road Games and most of the really, really smart like Australian exploitation movies are by this Everett DeRoche guy. He was a great screenwriter, very economical. It didn't waste a lot of time with stuff, but man, could he tell a story and and add all these just little interesting character traits and things in him. So what did everyone else think about it then? I've I've just been sitting here gushing about how much I love it, but it was a lot of fun, uh, and also kind of a downer. Oh, yeah. Like that scene, the scene that sticks out in my mind is like when the the crazy hillbilly dudes are are chasing after the reporter, and they get her out in, in the middle of nowhere, and they're about ready to rape her, and you're like, oh yeah, Razorbacks to to the rescue. And then it just, like, (laughs) murders her. (laughs) Like, (laughs) hardcore. (laughs) I'm like, well, it was nice for a second. (laughs) Um, Yeah, those guys are fucking weird, though. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thinking of that scene, that's another one of my favorite little directorial flourishes, is when uh, Benny is back in the truck. Essentially, like, Benny's kind of the tamer one. Dicko's the really fucking crazy one. Right. And he's telling Dicko, like, come on, you've you've scared her enough, let's get the fuck out of here. And Dicko turns around, essentially, to tell him to shut up, mind his own business, and the lights from the truck catch his eyes, and they reflect like if you've caught a deer or a dog or something at night walking across the road, and it gets that animal reflection in his eye. That's so cool. Or like Church from Pet Cemetery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it. It sort of gave me the... um, I got vibes from like Texas Chainsaw 2 and the sort of like crazy underground lair and the like Chop Top sort of has that, you know, that crazy, Mm -hmm. dirty, weird, zany character. I'm not saying the two are, you know, borrowed from each other, but I got that vibe from it where it's just sort of fun and out there, like wild, weird. I don't know. I, I. I didn't know what to expect and when I got this list. I, this was one that I was most interested in, and it probably was my favorite of the group. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the best. Obviously, the you know had the biggest budget was the best. You know, most well made. Most I don't know. Just overall, the best made film. It was strong story, strong direction. Everything about it was pretty good. I really liked it too. I thought the imagery was incredible like but i don't know what it is about exploitation films there's like so many of them that almost have like a post-apocalyptic look to it and i don't know if it's just uh, the 
the landscape just immediately takes me to Mad, Mad Max or what, but like, <clears throat> but this movie in particular just looks so otherworldly. Like this looks like does not look like a location that either takes place in the modern world or um, even takes place on Earth. So. And I've never been to Australia, so maybe it's really like that. Jason, you have your hand up for some reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is is Ozploitation a real thing? Because why, why is it? And why isn't this movie just a movie that is made in Australia? That's why? just, well, it's, it's an exploitation movie. Australia is sometimes called Oz. Ozploitation no, just no, means I, exploitation movie made in Australia. This is a Razorbacks and exploitation movie. It's not say, just a movie made in Australia. Well, it's a it's a genre movie. It's a horror flick. Okay, kind of gets lumped into that. Just checking. It's, by I mean, it's no Crocodile Dundee. Exploitation <laughs> doesn't just mean like sleazy, rapey sex movies from Italy. Like it, any anything that essentially has a super commercial element that's being exploited. I mean, the Mad Max movies are also considered exploitation because yeah. people are there to see the spectacle of the car crashes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It just just yeah. Just cl- just defining, clarifying. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What would really I say, help you too would to see that uh, what's the name of that documentary? Oh, uh not quite Hollywood. Not quite Hollywood. Yeah. That's a great doc. Mhm. That would maybe help define it for you more too. Anyway, what were you going to say, Brian? Uh, I don't remember now. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority here. I mean, I liked it, but I and I've never been to Australia. Were the two scary rednecks a little over the top for anybody? Oh, yeah. Are there, are there no are there no non terrifying people in Australia? <laughs> no, most of the characters were nice. Like the guy who lets uh, Carl Winters borrow his car, just like. He just got to town and says, hey, is there a cab? And the guy's like, no, there hasn't been a cab here since 1957, and he was lost. Why don't you take my car and just top it up on the way back? I think the the, the general idea is that, you know, most of them are nice, but, you know, there are the crazy ones. Like, even Jake Cullen, he's he's a little rough and tumble, but he's a good guy, you know. He just wants to kill the stupid pig that ate his grandson. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting how we kind of get to, you know, the psycho effect of giving us a character and then like, wait, we get Jake first and then he's, he's not, he's not gone, but he gets his eventually, but he kind of, you know, I assumed that, uh, Barb was her name, the reporter. Uh, I think so. Oh, Beth. Beth. Beth, Excuse me. Yeah. She was going to be our, you know, D our designated D Wallace heroine for the movie. And then she gets hers right away. So we eventually kind of will our way down to Carl, who's, kind of a, our, our third string who comes in and saves the day. So I found that interesting yeah. that we get yeah. probably the two, the two most sympathetic characters killed at various points in the movie. I wouldn't say Beth is one of the most sympathetic characters. I mean, yes, animal rights are a thing that should be fought for, but she just shows up in this rural town, you know, throwing her weight around, essentially kind of making fun of the people I mean, I'm not saying she was asking for either being raped or being eaten by a giant pig, but not the most tactful person in the whole world, is she? Yeah, that was clearly like the sin that makes her, you know, that her sin is ignorance and not willing to adjust to local customs. But I will take animal rights and the courage of the uh, investigative reporter over uh, a lack of tact as far as uh, positive traits. No, I'm not. I'm also not saying we're supposed to think she deserved what she got. I'm just 
Like, right. Although the irony is not missed on that, that <laughs> she gets murdered by the animal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the very thing she's trying to protect, yeah. Yeah. But like, misleading like, of the movie to set up what you think are leads and then kill them off. And no, yeah, I agree, because I thought for cool sure way. this was going to be her story. Yeah. 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 And, and thinking about that, the meeting between the two almost leads is great as well when Jake drives into town and she just immediately assumes he's a Rue shooter and he's like, no, I shoot Razorbacks. And when she asks him about why he hunts those and he says there's no season for them, it's just because they're a pest animal and obviously he has a, you know, more personal reason to hate him. His yeah, response right. of, oh, I don't know, there's just something about blasting the shit out of a razor back that brightens up my whole day. <laughs> and, and she's just, yeah, we got the accent. I'm so nice. happy. She's yeah. just fucking gobsmacked. Like, uh, she doesn't know how to respond to that. Like, all her big city slickness is just slapped into the dirt at that point. <laughs> she's like, well, I guess that's that. <laughs> How long did you practice that accent? Yeah. I've been watching this movie religiously <laughs> since I was in high school, so I've said that line a few times, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I loved the fucking cinematography so much. Mm-hmm. Like, it was beautiful, even though the version I got was a little stretched and weird. I didn't, wasn't happy, but makes me want to pick up the DVD. But now Brian makes me want to wait to get... In case it gets well, picked up, you know. And but, we're saying it out loud, so it's going to happen next for a long time. I know. Yeah. But yeah, this yeah, is... No kidding. The last episode, we talked about It's Alive, and then just Boom, earlier this pack. week, Street yeah. Factory announces <laughs> I know, a right? Blu-ray set. So they're clearly <laughs> listening. So we really want a Razorback <laughs> But if you can't, the Warner Archive print-on-demand service does a pretty good job. So Yeah. And yeah, it was... It's... Go ahead. Is wakey wakey hands off snakey a common phrase, or have I just been hearing you and Bob <laughs> oh, say that constantly since high school? You've probably been heard us saying that. Like, that's probably I would guess a like a colloquial version of it, because over here, you know, in the states, you hear wakey wakey eggs and bakey all the time. But I like hands off snakey better because it's funny and gross and perverted. Yeah, ten seconds of googling says it's roll. kind of a phrase, but I think I've heard it more than it's, com- more than it's commonly used. <laughs> well, that's where I've heard it before in a different movie, and I can't have to be able to figure out what. But it was definitely my favorite of the bunch too. It was awesome, Sweet. just just awesome. I loved it. I loved the so feel of the... all downhill from here. Right. I love it the... just makes me happy that Jason and I finally like the same movie. Oh man, it's bound to happen. Yeah. Years later, we finally. I love the feel of the Razorback. He was just this presence, and like the way the screen would just kind of shake a little, and like you could just feel this enormity of the the presence of this Razorback really showed on screen. It was fucking cool, even though it's just you know, like a a car with. Hair, yeah, they, but they like, did a great job. Tusks, but they did yeah. a great job hiding it, shooting around it like oh, alien yeah. style. So you never yeah. see that much of it because they spent like two hundred and fifty grand building this massive animatronic pig that ran on rails, and Russell Mulcahy just fucking hated it. <laughs> so he he all but refused to show it in the movie for more than just a few seconds, and you know, he, I, I think the whole probably screen good. time of the thing is probably less than five minutes. I would bet. Oh, oh sure. yeah, for sure. 
And that's but why the less like you see is better. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And it's like you said, you always, like, the, the little camera tricks of the shaking to imply its weight, and it's just like the shark in Jaws, it's, its presence is always there. Like, you know it's there. There's just this ominous sense of, like, at any minute somebody else is going to get chomped. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I think I agree. It's probably, looking at the list right now, it's probably my favorite off the list, too. What? I was going to be a smartass and be like, come on, you know Jugface is your favorite. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whoa. Are we going to send some hate for uh, Jugface? Are we going to jump to that one? I don't know. There's well, a nice well, transition. Thanks, before man. we do, I just want to say one more thing. I don't know why there aren't more killer pig movies. Because pigs are fucking scary even when they're not the size of a dump truck. Yeah. They are. Like, my uncle raises hogs, always has, but he doesn't breed them anymore. He used to. And we were always warned as kids, don't go near that boar pen. You can play anywhere else on the farm, but if you fall in that pen, those pigs will eat you. True. And there's nothing anyone can do. That's just it. But there, to my knowledge, are only four killer pig movies. This one, which is the best by a long shot. Um, number two is Pig Hunt, which was done for a Fangoria's short-lived video yeah. label, but that's yeah. a great movie, too. And then there's a French movie called Prey, which is more of an eco-horror thing where pollution drives a herd of wild pigs mad and they start eating people. And then there's a, a South Korean one called Chaws. Oh, yeah. Which which is like two and a half hours long and should be one and a half hours long and tries to also be a comedy and kind of fails. <laughs> But yeah, come on, people, get on it, get up on it, and make some more killer pig movies because pig, pigs are a great monster. What about Motel Hell? <laughs> <laughs> he tra- that's just Rory just Calhoun, Maniac Rory Cop. Calhoun's. What? Oh, boo! <laughs> There's a movie called Pigs from 1973, um, and I'm looking at I- the. I didn't right. count. I didn't count that one because the pigs aren't the monster. There's a guy killing people, and he just feeds the bodies to his pigs to dispose of them. So the yeah. pigs aren't actively the monster in that movie. I'm well, talking about like full on animal rampage, like the pig is out to get you kind okay. of movie. Okay. Well, yeah, because I was like, if you're gonna, it, it depends if you would count um, eating alive as an alligator movie or not. Then because this kind of sounds no. like the same thing. I wouldn't, because again, the alligator is just a disposal method. There's also a Paul Nashie movie from the 70s called Human Beasts, which is like a, a crime movie, but there's a scene where a guy gets fed alive to a pig. And, I mean, it's, it's a cool scene, but I by no means think it makes the movie a pig movie. Hannibal, there's also that, Hannibal, in Hannibal, there's that scene where a guy right. gets fed to the pigs. But Pig Hunt's good? Yes, Pig Hunt is very good. It's a, it's much funnier than Razorback, but it has kind of the same sensibility. It doesn't look like a music video. It's more straight up, uh, you know, a normal looking movie. But uh, Les Les Claypool is in it, and he awesome. does the theme music. So. Oh, that's right! I forgot awesome. about. It. I knew about the music part. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, apparently, the how it went was according to the filmmakers uh, talking on the DVD is they their special effects guys had studio space in the same building where Les had a practice space and he happened to be walking by one day and looked in and saw they were building a giant pig and he's like uh, what are you guys doing I'm like well we're building this pig monster for a pig monster movie and he's like uh, can I be in it I'll do the music uh, that's well, awesome. well yeah 
<laughs> Les Claypool asks to be in your movie and do your music, you're going to fucking say yes. Hell yeah. Man, if I knew that's all it took, I would have built a big, big mansion. <laughs> right. <laughs> Cool. All right. So yeah, since so since Jason brought it up, we can talk about uh, Jugface. So since you brought it up, Jason, you can describe it. Okay. So there's this movie that Brian apparently likes. So I'm gonna let him describe it. <laughs> I wait. <laughs> fuck off. I, <laughs> First of all, I just it suggested it. I just suggested it because it was. I knew it was a backwoods horror movie. It was something a little different. I hadn't seen it in a few years, but. I was oh, just trying different. to throw throw out things that weren't the usual, you know, so we didn't just wind up talking about The Hills Have Eyes because everyone knows that movie already. Yeah, and I put it on the list because I, I always try to make sure there's some there's at least one or two titles that are semi-modern on there. And when you suggested that, that was like the only thing because like everything else is like, I've never heard of this one. I've never heard of this one, you know, so... Um, it's like, well, at least somebody else has heard of Jugface, so I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll put that on the list. <laughs> Well, I don't even know how to describe you're it. Act- oh, because I say, yeah, you're actually going to make me describe this one? Okay. I mean, I can, but... I'm not good at it. I mean... I yeah. I mean, there's like a backwoods group of... Like a family or group of community, I guess. Yeah. And there's like a pit that yeah. eats people or something. It's like their god or something? <laughs> sort of. I don't, and then there's like a jug face as a person that I, I, okay. I don't the, know. <laughs> the, the backwards community lives in this some part of the, I would assume the Appalachian. You know, it doesn't. There's not like a. They don't say where it is exactly, but um, there's this pit out in the woods, and there's something in the pit, some supernatural force, and it picks one of the villagers to become a potter, and will occasionally guide his hand to make a, a clay jug with a face on it. And the face will be one person of the village. That person is the pit's chosen sacrifice. And as long as they immediately then, you know, have their little ceremony, slit that person's throat, let the blood run into the pit, the pit will in turn give them uh, gifts. Like it will cure sickness. You know, if you fall ill of yellow fever or whatever you can go bathe in the waters in this disgusting sludgy pit and and you'll be cured because at one point the dad of the main girl says that the pit has been with them since at least the time of the smallpox so i mean assuming this community has been there for a couple hundred years yeah the dad by the way played by one of my favorites larry fessenden love that guy um so the this story is about this girl named ada and she gets picked to be the jug face and she finds this out because she's friends with the guy who is the potter and she goes to his house to visit him one day and finds the jug face and hides it because when he goes into the trance to make the face he doesn't know who it is like he's just as surprised as everyone else when he sees the jug so she hides it in the woods there's a whole big kerfluffle because something comes out of the pit and kills somebody and you only ever get glimpses of it that's probably my biggest complaint is I want to see more of whatever this monster is because the glimpses look kind of cool like sort of a vampire swamp thing and so they know that something's up the pit's pissed off and it needs a jug face so he just kind of randomly makes one who looks like some dude from the village because they need somebody but the sacrifice doesn't work because the pit keeps taking people and so it comes to find out that 
you know, everyone now knows that it's Ada. Um, she's pregnant off her brother, who who her brother then gets eaten by the pit, and it wants her and her baby. And because of the whole thing with her fucking her brother, she gets like you know taken out into the town square and lashed, kind of thing, uh, which makes her miscarry. But the pit still wants her, and eventually everyone just takes her to the pit and does away with her, and that's it. Yeah. So there, there is no nice ending to this story, which I, was something I thought was kind of neat, that it's not, the movie is about the pit, not so much about this family, because this is just one story of one family in this village of multiple generations that has had to deal with this pit, and the pit was there before the movie, and the pit will go on after the movie, and this was just like an episode of, you know. Well, wasn't she also supposed to be like, you know betrothed to yes one guy yeah and to the were, guy who was the phony jug face yeah yeah and they were supposed to have a kid together for what reason because they wanted her to have to bear a child for some reason the, the, just the continue having the, children is a woman's job yeah gotcha. it's a miracle it's something that no man will ever get to experience as her dad says to her yeah, it, there there was no special significance that their kid would have had over anyone else's. It's just you know, got to okay. carry on, got to carry on uh, populating the village with you know people who have the right number of fingers and toes. Yeah, so she yeah, so she was and chromosomes. She was uh, destined to marry the this other guy who ends up being the jug face sacrifice, but uh, but she didn't want to do that because she. Was already pregnant with her brother's kid. It's mm-hmm. kind of a messed and, up movie. And they're, you know, presumably, you know, they talk a lot about. It. They'll test you and they'll find out. Like, yep. I just kept flashing back to the end of uh, Ace Ventura Two, <laughs> when when the angry little native guy walks out of the hut screaming after his supposed wedding night with his woman. What what's he going on about? Apparently, she's not a virgin. They can tell that. Mm-hmm. Cut to Ace running across the clearing, being chased. <laughs> so yeah, but they have some way of checking to see if she's a virgin, and obviously they're going to find out that she's not. And it's a pretty disturbing scene of them figuring out she's not a well. Most in, more in particular, her mother figuring out that she's not a virgin. Yeah. Yeah, gross. Like basically fisting her own daughter in the bathroom. <laughs> Okay, I, I may have been kind of drifting off. Why? Why did she paint her underwear red in the beginning? Thank was you. Trying to convince them that she was trying to make something? it look like she was on her period. I guess yeah, is what I yeah. thought. But kind I don't of throw know. Them off the scent, give her a little more time to figure out what to do. I don't know okay. if the version I saw the coloring was off, but I thought it was blue paint, and I'm like, oh. it would have made more sense if it was red paint because then, it was but like, paint. was it red? It was yeah. red. Yeah, I'm really know. red. And on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast, we find out that Mike That's is colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> I did not look red. I'm sorry. That's, that's where I was all kind of confused. Welcome to our new segment of WebMD. Where <laughs> call in and we'll diagnose your problems. Yeah. yeah. I don't... Go ahead, Terry. It was just... I mean, there were moments in it that I really like. I liked the the scene where was uh, like her friend was like washing clothes or whatever, and then she gets like brutally murdered. Like I liked that scene. 
You I know, a movie, is, a movie is great when you're like, I like the scene where they're doing laundry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I just, I wasn't a huge fan of it, I guess. Just yes. too much going on and Same here. sometimes I... unknown. I, I mean, usually, like, I like things being somewhat unknown, but I think it was a little too unknown, maybe, in this. I don't know. For for all the crazy context that happens in this movie, at the end of the day, I just thought it was just too slow. Yeah. Kind of bored me. And when you when you say things like, you know, having having in, getting pregnant by her brother, or you know, um, creatures in the pit that you know eat people, or you know slicing a guy's throat as a sacrifice to the pit. That all sounds like crazy, wild, wacky stuff that I want to see in a movie, but um, but it just didn't, this movie just did not capture me, even with all that craziness on paper. It is a very low-key movie, and it does move very slowly. Now, did I see Ty West's name as an executive producer on this thing? In the opening credits? I did see his name on it, I think. Because I went back to IMDb to confirm that, and it's okay. not on I his Ty West's name is not on IMDb at all for this movie. Huh. Yeah, I know it had a pretty... Because like, I remember seeing it when it first came out on video. That was I hadn't seen it since its initial release before I watched it for the show. Because I remember kind of following it on Dread Central. They were... You know, it was made somewhat big a deal about because it was being shepherded along by some bigger names, and that like I, I don't remember if Glass Eye Picks was one mm-hmm. of the production uh, slates at the beginning or not, because that's Larry Fessenden's outfit. Oh, okay. And usually, if he's in a movie, he generally tends to have some producer uh, capacity as well, and he he does a lot of stuff like this, like getting up and coming artists there you know, a shot to get their movie out kind of deal. And this very much the kind of thing he would have his hands all over. <laughs> yeah. Of course, since he had such a big acting role in it, because usually he's not that, you know, usually he has a much, much more minor role in a movie. So maybe he was just purely in it as an actor for this one. I don't know. Mm. Tad, what'd you think of this one? I really liked the ending because it was finally fucking over. <laughs> uh, wow. No, I don't know. I I I tend to I, I'm such a weird critic of movies because um right from the get-go when in, like the opening credit started, I was like, "Fuck that font. I already hate this movie." Right? <laughs> right? It's just a, such a poor choice of fonts for the opening credits. I'm like, "Oh, this can't be this can't possibly be good." Like just from like Right when you open a movie with like so, like something that you clearly just chose off of like Word or something, it's just just at least get some a good font, man. But um, it it didn't do much for me at all. It was it was tough to get through. It was very amateur looking. Um, I don't know. Maybe I I feel like I've seen the poster like on Netflix and Amazon and everywhere forever. It has a really cool poster that it just doesn't live up to. It has a, I mean, it's a jug face. Sounds fucking cool. Looks cool. It's not cool. <laughs> Guess what? Not cool. See, I don't think they'll put that quote on the on the video box. But. See, it's weird. I mean, there's a lot. You know, again, on paper, it sounds like there's a lot of good things going for this movie, but just something's missing in the execution. 
almost always Brian reconvinces me that maybe there's more merit to the story than I saw when I watched it. And when he was yeah. explaining it, I'm like, well, okay, when Brian says it, I I get it. <laughs> right? But the movie sure didn't help me get it. I tell you what, Are you, you don't so want to choose with you, buddy. You don't you don't get to choose your superpower. I know. <laughs> are you are you saying that there's some stuff in the movie that you didn't get? Oh fuck yeah! I mean, like, other I than painting the underwear, tr- I didn't. Tr- I'll admit I didn't try super hard to get it. Yeah. I mean, the movie's got to meet me halfway, but I'm just like, like this. This is what's happening, movie. <laughs> And I tried to like I was gonna do a I was gonna bring back Dustin's one star review off of Amazon, <laughs> and I looked through all the one star reviews, and like every single one of them is a fairly well spoken human adult person that's really fucking pissed <laughs> off at this movie, and like none of it's funny. They're all angry, and like I'm, you got, I can't you gotta read do the any. one star reviews for movies we actually like. I guess because try a five star review and see what yeah, happens. Yeah, find. Yeah, All right, you I'll be back. Keep talking. Loves it. There's 18% I mean, five stars. Okay. It'll be like, I liked it because there was blood and titties and she fucked her brother. There was boobs in it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right away. I could have done without the fucking brother thing. That's that's about the laziest of redneck storytelling, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought the, it was well acted. Like, I liked the, the performances general. Yeah, uh, sure. I didn't like the ghosts, <laughs> like, like the shunned. I thought that uh-huh. was super cheap looking. It's like, well, we probably better get some ghosts in here too. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I mean, I thought the yeah the mo- some of the scenes with with Sean Young were pretty visceral. Uh, the miscarriage scene was had some some pathos behind it. Uh, and yeah, then it just kind of ends, and n- nobody nobody learned anything. Nothing was resolved. <laughs> yeah, that is. Uh, I, I I like the the kind of like I said the episodic like day in the life of the people who live with the pit kind of aspect of it but the thing with her brother irritated me too because and not only is it like the cheap obvious lazy way to go but there was no good motivation for it like when she finally confesses to her parents what she was doing and they're understandably freaking out yeah. she's like but i loved him but he was a fucking asshole yeah. What, what did she love about him? There is no good reason that, like, she is by all accounts very kind because she's, you know, befriends the potter who everyone else hates because he's, you know, a little slower on the uptake even than the rest of the village. Um, you know, she cares for her grandpa. She's clearly one of the more intelligent people in the village. And yet her just shitty, douchey, <laughs> jock bro brother is for some reason. The one that she wants. I don't know. I've picked out my five-star review. Okay. The hard one that it wants. Yeah. <laughs> Item was described accurately and arrived promptly. <laughs> <laughs> that That's great. That's like the counterpoint to the one that Dustin read that was, I did not order this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Sorry, Brian. Sounds like it's uh, pretty unanimous on the thoughts. You on know, this, one. Th- this like I said, this was not one that I brought up because I had any previous I think love we needed for. To like, watch it. yeah, I, like with Razorback, 
I have just honestly been looking for an excuse to get everyone to watch that movie since I started on this show. Like, that, that is how much I love Razorback. Awesome. But but with Jugface, it was just, like you said, it's a more contemporary one. Yep. It, and I, I, I had seen it and remembered at least not hating it. Like that, I mean, I, I have no strong ties to it one way or another, and I have my complaints with it as well. It's not like I'm sitting here like feeling bad that nobody loved the movie that I... I brought to the table because you know what everyone said Razorback was their favorite and I'm happy so you, you can say bad things about every other movie on this list and I'm, I'll be fine with it uh, yeah I have a feeling there'll be plenty of bad things said about at least another one on this list <laughs> so alright so unless there's anything else to be said about Jugface um, uh, let's see Tad what movie do you want should we talk about next oh I guess I would say let's do Just Before Dawn. I like that one. Sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Directed by Jeff Lieberman. Um, of Squirm of fame. Squirm fame. He also did Blue Sunshine. And then a few oh, years yeah. yeah, a few years back he did uh, Satan's Little Helper, which I really oh, yeah. think is fun too. Alright, so Tad, yeah, tell us about uh, Just Before Dawn. Pretty simple. Um bunch of campers go up to the mountains even though they're told not to and they get terrorized by a redneck with a machete yep big, that's what they get big machete wielding maniac and it's it's a lot of fun it is a lot of fun yeah pretty cookie cutter plot um you know they do try to throw in that early 80s twist in there it's like oh there's twins you know but uh spoiler <laughs> uh but uh but yeah, but it's still just it is a lot of fun. I've I've always really liked this movie a lot. Um, you know, it's 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 a fave from the early '80s slasher genre. Uh, for me, I won't spoil this one, but it has one of the coolest dispatching of the bad guy at the end of any '80s slasher <laughs> film, in my opinion. That's just so visceral and awesome. So, yeah. There, there are a couple, like, not just that, but there are some other really gruesome kills in this, too. That One of the, or actually, it is the first kill. It's those two guys in that abandoned church. Yeah. And the one dude, the killer comes out and stabs the guy. Like, he's standing in front of him, so they're facing each other. <clears throat> and he rams the machete through his groin, and it comes out between his ass cheeks. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> that just made me cringe. <laughs> and I knew it was coming, because, like, I... I've owned this on DVD for years and I've seen it before, but still, that's just the scream that he makes and that kind of, like, you can sort of hear the blade kind of crunching against his bones and ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have more you wanted to say on this one, Tad? No, I mean, um, I felt like, I don't know, this was, this one fits the bill pretty well. It has a really badass poster, too. And yeah, I don't know. It just it was. It's nothing like you said. Sort of, co- it's very cookie cutter. But I maybe that's what I sort of. It, it was like comfort food. It was just you know. It it wasn't trying to be more than it more than you know intended. It wasn't advertised as anything other than it was. It just yeah. It was simple and fun, and I could just sit back and enjoy it. There was no holes, weird holes in the ground. There was, you know. <laughs> There was nothing. There was no. The fonts were good in it. 
The music's cool. <laughs> I, don't right. know, I, I, I liked it just for its simplicity, so... I love the score in this and the whole sound design of this movie. There's those, like, weird bird noises that echo throughout the soundtrack of this that I just find creepy and eerie. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah, same guy that did the Terminator scores, right? Oh, is it? I don't know. I'm yeah, not, Brad, Brad Fidel, I believe I do. Score guy. Nice. Yeah, nice. I believe it. Sweet. I'll say, as someone who sort of gets um, claustrophobic and maybe sort of scared of heights like when they're walking across that rope bridge that that stuff had me like cringing a little bit had me going i'm like man even you know i full well knew what was coming down the road but fuck that what are you doing like i don't (laughs) i don't care who's in the mountains i don't care if you've been warned nothing just i see that i'm like well i'm gonna be back at the van guys um i'm not walking across this Oh, come on. It's it's just like walking across a hose on your front yard. Just don't look down or the falls will pull you right in. Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> a line delivered by Greg Henry, uh, one of uh, um, Sean, or, uh, one of James Gunn's go-to guys. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because he was in... Uh... Fuck. He's in Slither. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Slug. Slug movie. <laughs> no, he was not in Slugs, which is also yeah. an awesome movie. Right. Yeah, it is. Because he isn't he the he's the sheriff, right? Mm-hmm. Or no, he's like the mayor or something. The mayor, yeah. Oh, yeah Nathan, Nathan right. Fillion's the sheriff. Right. The... I just want a goddamn Mr. Pibb. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you've got George Kennedy, who's always awesome. Woo! Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, I really liked this one. I I guess I was surprised by how much I liked it because I just generally assume I'm gonna hate most of these movies. Because <laughs> <laughs> I suggest them. What yeah. the fuck? Good yeah, pretty much. Well, it's a good. Yeah, it's good to have low expectations because then when you like them, you're like, oh, that was really good. I really liked it. <laughs> um, one of my favorite moments is when I think it's. Um, uh, Greg Henry's character is like walking in the woods with his flashlight and his friend like his friend's corpse is like leaned against the tree and like he keeps looking around and they keep flashing it like I don't know it was kind of funny does anyone know what I'm talking about no okay no. <laughs> good story Terry <laughs> I, yeah sorry I'm, I'm drawing a blank on that part I just fucking recited a line of dialogue from the movie, but for some goddamn reason, I don't remember this part. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It just seemed like it was a little bit of humor thrown in there on purpose. Like they were, yeah. they were trying to take add a little levity almost as yeah. the people start dying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have another plot question that I probably would have picked up if I'd been if I hadn't been like trying to trying to rush through these. Uh what was the deal with the the girl like who was like in the hills that they saw in the beginning and then again at the end? I think she was just like a, a family member of the crazy machete people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was like it was like Ruby from the Hills have eyes if she never came back or got a line or did anything of, of interest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. She was definitely she just, part like, of the family. Well, she steals like their makeup. Mm-hmm. That's about yeah. all I remember her doing. Yeah, yeah. When I saw her at the end, it's like, oh yeah. It's like, oh wait, that's it. There was yeah. a. Uh, I wonder if like her character. 
um, got, you know, like a lot of stuff got pulled out when during the rewrite of the script because, um, uh, I don't the, think anybody in that family pulls out. In <laughs> <laughs> the in the supplemental material on the um, DVD by uh, Streak Show. Uh, they talk about the script and how the original script was was a lot different, and there was like a whole cult kind of cult religious angle uh, with the family, but the the producers wanted that aspect taken out, so they like completely rewrote things. And just by listening to them talk about that original script, there's definitely a lot of changes made to the to the characters of the of the twins. Um, so I have a feeling maybe like a lot of a lot of her stuff was maybe left on the left on the page of the original script. Yeah, because she really doesn't seem to f- fulfill any real purpose in the movie. She just seems like the normal one, sort yeah. of, yeah. to draw them in to whatever. She kind of lures one guy away at one point, doesn't she? Yeah, after she steals his girlfriend's makeup. Right. But yeah, that's about all, the only purpose she serves. Jason, you have anything to, to say about Just Before Dawn? Um, I just uh, I thought it was pretty dang good. My second favorite. Um, it was yeah, yeah, totally solid. And you know, anytime there's playing in the water, I'm all for it. <laughs> Frolicking in the water, yeah. huh? Yep, that was uh, that was good stuff too. <laughs> um, so sweet. And now yeah. we know Jason's fetish. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to watch Water Power. Oh yeah! All right, I'll, I'll send everyone a copy as soon as no. recording. No. Oh yeah, I kind of do want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a legend for me. I've got to see it. <clears throat> all right. Well, the next film I want to I want to bring up is um from 1977 rituals yes uh but i don't want to describe it if somebody else wants to god damn it <laughs> i'll take a stab uh, at it okay go for it <laughs> all right so there are five doctors who are going to a retreat in on, in canada uh in, in a, a far off place um they uh, overnight, so it's got kind of a deliverance vibe going on early on. Uh, then the next, they find their boots missing. Only one has packed boots, so he takes off to uh, dam uh, and to get help and all that. And then just slowly but surely, they realize they're being stalked by somebody. Um, it's pretty clear that they're that's targeted, um, like for something that they that one or more of them has done. And a lot of them, I won't spoil it or anything, but a lot of it is um, about just kind of the breakdown and the stresses of the relationships until eventually Hal Holbrook has to face uh, a figure from their pasts. That's yeah. good. Nailed it. For my money, this movie whips Deliverance's ass. Yeah, this I is good. love this. This would be my number two favorite on, on the list, and and it's a close second. I mean, I love Hal Holbrook anyway. Yeah. Like, just he's awesome <laughs> and everything. But uh, yeah, this is the the brutal parts are fucking brutal. Yeah. Like, 
the riverbed bear trap oh. <laughs> stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the the um, scenery footage, like the scene towards the end where it's just, uh, I don't remember Holbrook's character's name now, it's him and Mitzi, the, the other yep. main guy. And they're sitting on top of this big rocky outcrop and you know the camera's looking like over their shoulder for just miles and miles down this valley and it looks like they're on the fucking moon i mean you, it just gives you this sense of isolation and how small they are and it's oh it's so good I was not to uh, completely spoil the ending like Matt was trying to avoid doing but i really really thought it was the guy with the boots that was going to be killing him. Yeah. Because he was so fucking mad about, like, I told you assholes to pack extra boots, yep. and nobody packed boots. This is your fault, and now I have to drag your asses out of the fire. And I just, like, pictured him the whole time setting bear traps going, it's just the fucking boots. It's all you had to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would probably put this number one favorite for me this weekend, just because I love the kind of the angst and the frustration of the characters yeah. um the unlike kind of deliverance which is often compared to they really they don't really get it together they're they're they are just increasingly at odds yeah. uh and there's i mean just, what a what a fantastic premise like they have to carry two guys have to carry one down the river who's slowly lo- lo- like losing their shit one wants to leave him behind one wants to one has the sense of duty to him um, and he's just increasingly gone, eventually catatonic. Yeah. But because they were army doctors, it's like, you know, this is what we did in the field. It's, you know, this is very much a Vietnam era movie. I mean, you hear a lot of talk yeah. about horror movies from the 70s carrying the weight of Vietnam. Well, this one wears it on its sleeve. Like, there is no fucking question at all what's going on here, you know. And uh, I, I was actually a little un clear right at the end as to what was supposed to i mean I, the general the broad strokes i get but like who the fuck was that guy it just it winds up feeling a little bit random at the very end but part of that might be because there's apparently an, a fairly hard to get a hold of uncut version of this movie that's over 10 minutes longer than the one that you can just easily watch on youtube oh. so there's probably a whole lot of exposition that we're missing <laughs> that would make this make more sense yeah, I remember. Like, I kind of, hmm? Go ahead. I, I kind of like the random nature of it. I mean, we we eventually kind of find out. Okay, spoiler: three, two, one. Uh, it's another vet who presumably like was mistreated, or or it's unclear exactly. Kind of like, did he? How did he suffer on the table? He's been you know disfigured. Uh, end yeah. of spoiler. But it, yeah, it's well, not even it's not even clear that they're the ones who did it. He might just be lashing out at them because they are doctors. Yeah, yeah, because like with the tags and the. And things just kind of like, yeah, maybe it's just kind of, maybe it's a comment just on kind of the, you know, when they came back, nobody cared. Yeah, because at one point he leaves that x-ray out there for him to find along with their buddy's head on a stick. Mm-hmm. And Hal Holbrook picks it up and goes, what butcher did this? Which kind of gives the idea, like, it, it wasn't their fault specifically. They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, they were better doctors than that. But Yeah, yeah, it's almost like he's meant to just represent kind of what they may have done or just what the what the establishment did in general but yeah i, yeah. I, I like the open-ended nature of it very much of its era now, this is one that i rented 
years and years and years ago, um, back when our family video had first opened and still primarily carried VHS. And I remember the box sold it as a horror movie. And I was expecting some gory slasher flick or something. And, you know, took it home and started watching it. And was like, oh, this is really slow. This isn't what exactly I was expecting. But the more I watched, it's like, you know, even though I was sold a false bill of goods, I actually quite like this. So I remembered, you know, I, I remembered it fondly to begin with. But sitting down and watching it this time, it just, like, this was a knock back in the seat. Holy shit, this movie is awesome. <laughs> yeah, Rituals kicks ass. Another one that we need a good Blu-ray copy of, because the one that's on YouTube isn't bad, but to my knowledge, there is no digital home video version of this. There's a DVD on Amazon for five ninety nine. Oh, there you go. Code Red, I think. Oh, no shit? Yep. For five ninety nine. Wow. Because yep. Code Red stuff usually goes out of print like instantly after Bill has some kind of weird fit and deletes everything off his web store. <laughs> Jay, have you ever tried to buy anything from Code Red? It's fucking uh, infuriating. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the old poster says gothic horror really big at the top. I'm like, what's that mean for this movie? Uh, nothing at all, but I, love, I do love the poster for it. So the one I'm looking at doesn't have the gothic horror. It just says, if you go down in the woods today, you're in for a big surprise. And it's the, it's the river scene uh, where uh-huh. up top of the poster you see the characters like... I can't, the image is too small for me to tell if the whole thing is painted, but the top, the top might be a photo, it might be a painting of the guys walking in the river, but the bottom half of the poster is very much a painting of just the riverbed laden with traps out in front of them, but, but man, heads on spikes left and right in this movie, like the deer (laughs) was apparently, the the deer was apparently a real deer head that they, well, we'll we'll go with found, they they may have just... (laughs) But, I mean, it's a deer. It got turned into jerky anyway, so it's fine. Deer are delicious. <laughs> it's the deer's fault for being made out of food. Um, but, yeah, I, I uh, enjoyed the relationships between the guys, too. The the two obvious alpha male, well, alpha and beta males, I guess, of the group. And then the two super nerdy guys. And the, the scene where they're getting drunk out in the woods and all, like, comparing their medical achievements... <laughs> And, like, some of them are big deal doctors and some of them are plastic surgeons. So they're kind of, like, poking fun at them. Like, what do you do but give people boob jobs? And then there was one part I thought was interesting, and maybe I misheard. Correct me if I'm making stuff up here, but didn't, I think it was Mitzi, didn't he acknowledge, like, a same-sex relationship at one point when they were sitting around drinking? Possibly. That I, I don't hmm. Yeah, I thought he, I thought he was, they were at the, maybe it was Marty, um, but he gives a speech about... Uh, like he had his boyfriend who practices karmic fascism now. Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember now that you say yeah. the line. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I mean, that's, I didn't expect to hear that in a movie in 1977, just kind of right. just put out there and not treated like a particularly big deal. Which, I mean, the movie was, was, was Canada that much more progressive even then? Like, I mean, this is a Canadian movie, so right. possible. Um, or it could just be, to more signify like these are big city guys who have no place out in the woods or yeah yeah i wasn't able to track down a, yeah i wasn't able to track down a particular reason why yeah, that was just very in fact i'm not even entirely sure i heard it myself but i rewound it 
Thinking of Mitzi, he was uh, played by a character actor named Lawrence Dane, who was in all kinds of stuff that uh, we all know and love. He's in Scanners, he's in Bride of Chucky, he's in Happy Birthday to Me, he's in Dark Man 2. But uh, probably the crowning achievement is, of his career is he was a recurring character named Reg Hunter on The Red Green Show. <laughs> That's a solid career right there. Yeah, he's, he's got quite quite the list of movies here. Ted, Terry, yeah. what do you think? I uh, I didn't quite get to finish this one. I think I'm, I'm going to try to finish it up after we finish recording. But uh, I liked what I'd seen so far. I really, I mean, can't go too wrong with Hal Hallbrook. But I liked it. It was it was good. Um, I had <laughs> I had no preconceived notions going into this one it was um i'm not saying this one was not as much fun as say just before dawn or any of that but it was like you said i i feel like it's a i don't know i liked it of course it's going to get compared to deliverance but i liked so much more about it it uh it's compelling yeah it's compelling guys and it didn't necessarily it's I don't know. I mean, obviously horror, but it's not it's not the um typical horror trope and I feel like watching it in the quality that it's available to watch in is sort of fitting. It's sort of gritty and grimy and it just gives that feeling of that era. I mean, even if you had a cleaned up copy, it's still there's no cleaning up the subject of the film. The the guys are all older actors that are sort of gritty and grimy and I just I like it, man. It's it's cool. Oh yeah, '70s movies should be full of film grain and artifacting, and, and yes. a lot of times, even a lot of times, even a Blu-ray transfer can't get rid of all of that, nor should it, because yeah, that totally adds to movies from this time period are supposed to look crunchy. Yeah, I it yeah, it's it's like I said, it adds to the um, subject of the film. It, it sort of feels like the movie itself is waterlogged and and you know has been through <laughs> been through hell and back. So yeah, was, that's. So you were saying the relationships are sort of compelling and yeah the interaction between the guys going back and forth and it's you know it is it's, it's like some good some good character development there some good um interaction between the guys you sort of go along with them and their journey and they're fighting and they're okay and then they're fighting again and What were you saying, Brian? Oh, just you were saying that this wasn't as much fun as something as just before dawn, but also, like you say, you know, the the movie looks like it's gone through hell, and that's kind of how it's supposed to make you feel. Like I don't, I don't think fun was ever on the filmmakers' minds. <laughs> mm-hmm. this, this this is definitely a grindhouse movie. I mean, not in the again the sleazy sense that you often think of with grindhouse or the exploitation, but yeah, this this one is a slog. It's meant to make you feel like you've been drugged down 40 miles of bad road behind a pickup truck, and it does. By the time it's over, you feel tired right there along with the characters when they're sitting up there on that mountain, and you know Hal Holbrook's trying to start a fire with toilet paper so they can boil a little bit of water just to have something, and they're arguing about Carrie and their friend, and Mitzi keeps saying, fuck it, I'm not going to help you carry him anymore. This is dumb. He's dead. And Hal Holbrook's saying, you know, he's trying to grind us down. He's trying to take out our humanity. 
you know that's what he wants so i don't care if he dies or not we're carrying him out of here because we're not you know when we get out of these woods we're going to get out still as men we're not sinking to his level and yeah it's fucking exhausting i'm (laughs) sure in in the best way yeah i'm sure even like shooting it you know was probably exhausting walking through all that water and through the woods and uh yeah, I mean, like, like you were just saying, you know, they're they're carrying him, and they're saying, well, he, this is exactly what he wants. He wants us to slow down and carry him, and you know, he's pitting them against each other in a way that they don't realize. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, I was kind of. I know we weren't really talking about the end, but I just that scene in the shack and he's like not helping his friend that i it was uh dark it was it was tough just well one listening to him scream top of his lungs for five ten minutes but it's pretty brutal that it had to go down that way i agree but that's sort of fitting for the movie you know the whole movie was sort of brutal and unforgiving like brian said this is this was not fun um (laughs) and it was it was never intended to be fun and that's that's what i sort of like about this versus you know razorback or just before dawn razorback even though it's fucking there's some brutal moments it's still a giant pig rampaging through a house it's a kool-aid man with you know <laughs> with tusks yeah yeah he just goes right through the fucking walls and stuff it's like rampage you know it's like this is Oink, yeah yeah exactly I mean, it's, it's like there's there's nothing to really laugh about in this one there's nothing you're no. not you're not you know and you're not enjoying it but it's that's not a bad thing it's just it's good that we have this variety on this episode because you need you need a little bit of everything and you know good and bad and fun and not fun and we have a little bit of everything on this one that's for sure can't have any pudding if you don't eat your meat right (laughs) (laughs) anything else about this one Mike could hurry up and come back so he could get his two cents in yeah I was trying to drag this out so he get back and be able to talk about it because I'm sure this is one he likes yeah Totally. Well, why don't we go ahead and move on to the... Should we move on to the next movie? Or should we just edit this out? Uh, Say we can just sit and wait for him for a minute and then chop this little two-minute segment out. It'll be easy to find. There'll be like two big troughs of just nothing on the (laughs) soundbar. And there will be a big spike when I yell it like this. (laughs) There'll be an even bigger spike if everyone barbarian laughs in three, two, one. <laughs> you, you shouldn't edit this out. This is what our this is what <laughs> this is bonus content. If I ever yeah, heard this it. is what this is what our Patreon supporters are um, really wanting. Some behind the scenes <laughs> stuff as Mike puts his child to sleep. To bed. To bed. Yeah. Yes, he's not euthanizing. <laughs> <laughs> well, he said he's putting him down. I didn't know, you know, he's insane, Mike, so. You never know. <laughs> I thought maybe he was just putting on his Minotaur costume. Yeah. Uh... yeah. No, that's for, that's for after. <laughs> <laughs> that's some bonus content there, that's for sure. 
there's your there's your boner sewed. <laughs> I'm sleeping tonight. Thanks. Uh, Presumably, he makes the barbarian moose noise for that too. <laughs> and the more you say, the less I want to cut this out. It's, <laughs> it's too good. Man. Can't he just can't he just like talk while he's trying to put put Simon to, to bed? Right, need to get him a wireless mic and headset. Yeah. <laughs> so we we hear the bedtime stories and the lullabies as we're. He can I'm read sure it. He has that. His yeah. Simon falls asleep to the review <laughs> of rituals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think I heard a door. Maybe, just maybe. Uh, was that your to door? Was door. that it? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was the razor back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at sound effects. I'm no what's his face Michael from Winslow. Police Academy. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Michael Saunders Winslow. For the record, there was at least four. Michael Winslow action figures and one Police Academy t-shirt at Panic Fest. So, yep. <laughs> and I got the t-shirt. Yeah. And, and I don't know why Mike didn't get the toy. I'm shocked by that. But he was he spent all of his money on other things. Yeah, like a, like a, a pillowcase and a apron. An alien chestburster cooking apron. It was pretty cool. <laughs> He probably could have afforded it if that dude from Jimmy John's didn't take his money. I uh, know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he could have heard that. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm trying to stop myself from bringing it up every five minutes. I just saw. Because it makes him so mad. <laughs> He's so mad. <laughs> I saw your post just today, and I fell out of my chair laughing so hard. <laughs> Holy hell! It's amazing. I wondered, I wondered what that was about. <laughs> Oh, oh man! I've never seen Mike so serious and mad with another person before. <laughs> you could have fucking heard a pin drop in that Jimmy John. <laughs> was me amazing. And, me and Jason were like, "Oh shit, we're gonna go get next. spit in our food." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like here, just take all my money, you poor child. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. he bought a sandwich and a drink and some chips. Gave him a twenty, and the kid gave him four pennies back. <laughs> and then argued with him as Mike continually tried to get more money back. It was amazing. It, it was pretty fucking ridiculous. The, the kid was like, "I see you have a fi- you're, you have five dollars right there." And Mike's like, "Yeah, it's in my, already in my wallet." Like, <laughs> <laughs> but am I not allowed to have money before? <laughs> oh, it was so awesome. <laughs> oh. oh, I forgot. I, I just remembered. I forgot to tell Mike that I I finally watched Dolls at Bee Fest. That was one I kept I forgetting. It was awesome, even though it has dolls in it. <laughs> Not a doll fan? No, they're kind of creepy. I mean, some some movies are cheesy enough that it doesn't bother me. That one that one was pretty good. I love I love like the stop animation and shit in it. Pretty creep-tastic. 
Yeah, Stuart Gordon's not going to let you down. Yeah. Speaking of, I'm going to... I don't know why I'm talking out loud while I'm saying this. Never mind. Are is we someone still recording? A, <laughs> is someone on a train? It's probably Terry. I just don't want Mike to feel bad about all this shit we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were you talking to me about me about? Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> here we go, and... Okay, so wait, 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 where are we at? Rituals. Still on rituals? Yeah. Okay. We ha- we held out for you. Yep. Oh, so like you guys literally stopped talking when I left? Oh, well, no. we talked for as long as we possibly could about rituals, and it was all we good. were out of we were out of words. So we okay. need your words. Okay, I don't have a lot to add. That's why uh. I chose rituals uh, oh. to walk away from. But anyway, yeah, I got a couple things. I really like uh, rituals. This is the first time I've ever gotten to see it. I've heard of it before. Um... I don't get why it's called Rituals. Thoughts? Yeah, that's a good point. Brian? You're Suppose the... <laughs> why do you go heads to me? On, There's a, heads the, the, on stakes must mean some sort of ritual. Or... There's a guy on the show with a literal PhD, and you're asking me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was also confused, but the alternate title of The Creeper makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, because like, when you hear Rituals, you think, okay, this is going to be like... Some satanic cult in the right. woods or something. So yeah. I don't get... Other than, like... I can't remember. Was this the first time they went on this trip together, these five doctors? Or was this, like, an annual thing? Maybe this specific trip, but I think they generally hang out together. But, yeah, that was my thinking. It was more about the rituals of manhood and friendship and, like, guys yeah. bonding and that kind of stuff. It wasn't to do with, like, somebody summoning a jug face or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I think that's probably why. I mean, yeah, again, I really like this movie. Hal Holbrook is awesome. That other guy, I could have sworn for the first half of the movie was uh, Fitz Weaver. So I'm like, oh, this is why they got cast together from Creepshow. George Romero must really liked uh, Rituals. But then I, you know, as I was watching the movie, I looked it up, and it's not Fitz Weaver. So. No, but, yeah, he, he's in a ton of other stuff, so. Yeah, you've you've seen him before. Like he's in Bride of Chucky. I was talking about that a little bit. That um, the 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 guy that looks like Fitzweaver. Yeah, Mitzi, the other uh, Lawrence Dane, I think is his name. He's on the Red Green Show. He's in a ton of movies oh, and TV. Okay. So, gotcha, gotcha. But uh, there's like some things I like. Um, I like how we don't really see the killer or the bad guy until like the very end of the movie. Like, he's just doing everything behind their back to, like, ruin these guys. And it starts simple with just, like, stealing the boots. So then they have to wear, like, bags on their feet through the rest of the movie. And then, like, uh, you know, one guy leaves the group and he never comes back. And then another guy, you know, falls and dies. And then it starts getting more real. Um, and I, I liked how... How the you know the killer is was always like one step ahead of them, ten steps ahead of them really. And you've got that rope, that scene with the rope going across the river. But he put like animal traps along that path with the rope. I thought that was a pretty ingenious uh, move there on the on the bad guy's part. So <clears throat> so yeah, uh, you know, t- total thumbs up. You know, it was pretty much what I expected going into it. So. Um, I definitely liked it. Cool. I guess that leaves one movie. 
Yeah, one movie left. I can. I'll describe this one. Okay. <laughs> the best so, for last. That's right. The best for last. <laughs> so like. I have a feeling I'm the only one going to be standing up for this movie, and that's 1982's Midnight, written and directed by John Russo. Um, it's with uh, this this girl who runs away from home because her drunk stepfather that she calls daddy through the whole movie, which I found disturbing, um, uh like tries to sexually assault her so she runs away and she meets up with these two guys in a van and they they go off they all go off together and they end up in the boonies and uh there's this now again it's kind of a cult with this cult family that are like uh that are killing people and kidnapping these women for like a sacrifice and everything so i mean that's really it in a nutshell nothing Nothing really new here, um, but as bad as this movie is, and I can openly admit that I've always really liked this movie. There is something, there is something god awful but so charming to me about John Russo's movies. Uh, actually, I, I want to lump, I want to make a bigger, uh, bigger range here and say all of the other Pittsburgh filmmakers that are not George Romero. You know, all the other guys from Nine Living the Dead that tried to have movie careers, all of their movies to me feel like they're all made by the same guy. But, um, uh, but you got like John Russo with, with Midnight and Heartstoppers and Majorettes, which he wrote, but I don't think he directed. And I think Russell Striner directed that one. Um, and then you've got like Bill Heinzman who did, uh, Flesh Eater. Which was his attempt to cash in on his uh, cemetery zombie character from Night Living Dead. All of them are just poorly acted, way way overwritten, way longer than they need to be. Um, not very well shot, but there is just some weird charm about them, and I don't don't know if it's just because the George Romero connection. Because this movie in particular, you've got Tom Savini doing effects, which I I can't decide. He's done effects <laughs> for. He did effects for um, two of Russo's movies, Midnight and Heartstopper, and both of those movies don't really feel like the high-quality effects that Tom Savini used to do back during that time period. You know, I mean, this was this movie came out around the time of like The Prowler and The Burning and all that, and the, the effects in those movies are great, um, but not so much in Midnight. So I can't decide if it's that John Russo doesn't know how to shoot effects, which may be the bigger thing, or that Tom Savini just phoned it in on the on on those two movies. I mean, there's there's far more elaborate effects in um, in Heartstoppers, but they still just don't look very good. And so I just don't know. Um, I just have a feeling um, Russo doesn't because especially the type of effects that Savini would do. You have to shoot those a certain way. There's certain camera angles. There's certain ways you edit to make those effects really look good. And I have a feeling it just didn't happen in this case. Either that or it's like, you know, Tom Savini just was doing John Russo a favor and just kind of phoned it in. So, but, uh, uh, and the other reason, uh, the other George Romero connection in Midnight is John Amplis pay, plays one of the, uh, one of the redneck satan worshipers um 
and you never really get to see John Amplis in much of anything. You know, he he's done a few Romero movies, and and most of those pretty, most of the times you see him, it's it's pretty silent performances, with the exception of like Day of the Dead. Um, so anytime he gets to talk on screen, I'm all I'm all for too, even if it is some of the worst uh, some of the worst written dialogue uh, ever conceived of celluloid. But uh, um, yeah, this movie's just so highly overwritten. The dialogue in this movie is some of the worst after school special. Everything is exposition dialogue ever. Like my favorite moment in the whole movie, she's when she's on the phone with her friend. And her drunk stepfather comes home, and she puts the phone down and goes talk to him for a little bit. And she goes back into the bedroom to get back on the phone. The minute she walks back into the bedroom, we can all clearly hear the 80-yard dial tone. So we know that she's not on the other line. But the girl picks it up and says, you know, it's like, Mary, you still there? Mary, hello, 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 you still there? Like, she can't hear this dial tone that we're all hearing? And then to top it off, she actually has to have the line where she says, Oh, why did you have to hang up the phone? Like, we know you hung up the phone. You, you've <laughs> telegraphed this. You don't need to still say it. And the whole movie is littered with lines like this, where it's just completely telling us exactly what we're seeing. And it definitely breaks the rule of, uh, you know, don't tell, but, you know, j- just show, don't tell. So, um,. But I also kind of love it for that. It just reminds me of old Super Friends cartoons where, like, they couldn't afford to do a lot of elaborate animation, so just the the Super Friends had to basically describe exactly what was happening in every single scene. So, but yeah. all the sins are made up for by the amazing and sparingly used theme song, right? Oh my god, oh. that song. Yeah, that is the worst part, because it's so... It never funny. fucking ends! No. It's even the closing credits song. Like, oh my god, we get it. You paid for the song, you're gonna get the most use out of it, I guess. See, that's why the effects don't look good. Tom Savini got paid in Jimmy John's coupons because they spent all the money on that goddamn song. <laughs> and they shortchanged him at Jimmy John's too, I bet. <laughs> I feel like Savini was just playing to his like coworkers. He's like, well, if you guys don't give a fuck, neither do I. <laughs> well, and you do... I feel like there are some some real efforts made in this movie. I think John Amplis is doing is doing a great job. I think his performance is top. I think like um, I forget the guy's name, but the his brother, the bald guy with the with the big old awesome mustache, um, he's actually a, a a good friend of Tom Savini's that Savini has used in 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 different things before. Uh, that guy played in uh, Savini's Night of Living Dead. Um, he played the uh, the bald the bald fat zombie in overalls at the very beginning of the movie. Uh, Jed, I think maybe was the the character's name, but anyway, that's that that same guy who uh, you know played played the hillbilly here in uh, in Midnight, and I think he's a little over the top in his performance, but he still I feel like he's given it his all. Lawrence Tierney, who's in this movie, is 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 okay. I, I really feel like the problem is the dialogue. It's like you can you can only do such such 
a believable enough performance if you you know if you got really shitty dialogue it's still gonna the performance is gonna come out bad as well because it's just so just that when he's telling his sob story at the police station about his stepdaughter running away and just going into these minute details i'm like that's, that's irrelevant to the scene the situation and you're and you're basically telling us things that you should have shown us so um but the worst actor in the whole movie is our lead actress. She, I, I thought she she was really bad. Like, there is no emotion whatsoever when like Lawrence Tierney tries to rape her, you know. And like, if you've got like a drunken stepdad that's hitting on you, you're not gonna call him daddy, you know. You're gonna call the guy. You're gonna call the creep by his first name. You're not gonna recognize him of being any what related to you whatsoever. Well, unless it's, um, she's like, you know, I don't know. I'm not going there. But. <laughs> unless, so he's, much, um, unless he's insisting that she call him daddy. I was going to say unless he asks real nice, but. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like the opposite of that old thing. Like if you encounter a rapist or a serial killer, you're supposed to like, you know, be very personal with them. So they're, so they recognize you as human and seems like that was the complete wrong thing to do here like to distance yourself when he's trying to get on you like that exactly i was gonna say play dead but that's bears never mind uh, you know unless unless you know, know she, she purposely lets her guard down so that so that she can take him out at the when the time is right by gently tapping him in the head with the phone <laughs> awkwardly <laughs> gently <laughs> which knocks him out cold So yeah, even though I'm ripping it apart, and rightfully so, I there's something about this movie I've, I've just always I've always liked. It is a deeply stupid and extremely entertaining movie. It yes. would have been a lot more fun with a group like this. Oh, I think sure. this would play, play really well at B Fest. I agree. What for? Can... Oh, that was someone else. But I was. Oh. Um, I... I was the thing that stuck out to me is just this. It it wasted no time getting really, really emotionally intense. Like we get that we get that rape scene, and Lawrence Tierney's a big, scary dude. Yeah. Um. So like, yeah, we get this like within literally minutes of the film, and then she takes off into a world where creeps are hitting on her, and then we get you know. Uh, we get the racist at the bar scenes. This is a very ugly world we're thrust yeah. into, like almost immediately. Yeah, yeah, I I can agree with that it definitely. But it's so, it's so, like nulled by the fact that the dialogue is so bad and these performances are just not. It's it you just don't feel any of that really because. Her, just her performance. Like when she's packing her bag to run away, she's just like taking her time and just, you know, putting everything nice and neat. No, you fucking, you're grabbing a duffel bag, you're throwing underwear in your bag, and you're out of there. Well, she's just neatly packing her suitcase. Like this is no big deal. Jason, what'd you think of Midnight? Well. Believe it or not, I'm with you on this one. Like, there's, it's full of problems, but I kind of liked it. <laughs> Surprisingly, cool. That's that's actually shocking to me. Yeah, 
and it's yeah and it's it's the the bad writing it's or it's like a john waters effect where like they were all had to say the dialogue as, as it, it was is written per page yeah and <clears throat> it did not help it in any way so but, maybe if they just scream their lines like they do in john waters movies that would maybe help but it being so bad was also entertaining. <laughs> but I, but I could totally see the heart there too. So I, it was I didn't mind it, surprisingly. Even though I was hella pissed when they killed those two dudes. Oh, right away oh, too. I'm yeah. fucking pissed about that. Like you think like this is gonna, it's gonna be these three it's not cool movie and just boom take out two of your, two of your protagonists right off the bat. What's everyone else? This think? is uh, this is again the weekly thing where I uh, art complain about the Reaganish tone of the uh-huh. of an eighties movie, but yeah, what the hell was up with like Lawrence Tierney is redeemed at the end after what we saw him do early, like like yeah. the power of again the power of prayer, the power of failing. Like what? The, I'm I'm not rooting for this guy. Fuck off. <laughs> I, I gave exactly. up on her and yeah, like <laughs> she wouldn't have left if you hadn't fucking tried to rape her, dude. Yeah, exactly. the 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 idea of trying to make this this character the hero of the movie, you know, because you follow him, he's the B story in this. As he's trying to find her, yeah. And when he ends up on the the farmland or whatever, I'm like, you're thinking, really, this is going to be the hero of the film? Yeah. Yeah, like there was no emotional journey. He goes from like he's trying to rape his stepdaughter. Then he lies to her mother about her coming on to him. Yeah. And then he's like, well, I'm, I guess I'm the hero now. So I'm just a grim sense of duty or change of heart for no apparent reason. It's like, no, like the, the, he didn't earn any kind of heroism. And just his status apparently as parental figure and authority figure means that he's automatically on the side of right in the end. Has anyone else here seen the movie Joe starring Peter Boyle and Susan Sarandon? No, uh uh-uh. I'm aware of it. Uh, Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't want to give John Russo that much credit, (laughs) but (laughs) you know, maybe he was riffing on that a little bit because that came out a few years before this. And Peter Boyle's character is by no means a rapist. His daughter is just a hippie, and he's like a horrible old like conservative racist guy. And she runs away from home in uh, in protest, essentially. And then you know he goes on a mission to go find her. That's a fantastic movie. But you know, it, it has it, it, it's like a cargo cult version of that. It's like I, I saw this and I don't understand a goddamn thing about it, but people seem to like it, so I'm going to try to do it too. <laughs> I got maybe a little bit of vibe from like George C. Scott and Hardcore too, which would have been right, which have been a couple of years before that. So yeah, yeah, kind of that cantankerous old guy going after the the daughter he doesn't understand was a must have been a trope at the time. And it was, you know, hitchhiking was a much bigger thing then, so maybe that was like a cultural thing of the time, too. Like, runaways having to be tracked down by their, you know, their uh, repentant parents. Yeah. Also, I like to think of this movie as John Russo proves everything good about Night of the Living Dead was George Romero, the motion picture. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Go watch movies from any of those other guys and you'll you'll think the same you'll you'll think that it, oh yeah it's mostly george 
Yeah. Well, I've I've seen that god awful version of Night of the Living Dead that Bill Heinzman did, where he like Ooh. shoot like the bookends anniversary it with one. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I own that. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about Santa Claus. There was another Russo movie put out by um, that Shakorama label of all, or Seductive Cinema, whichever one you want to. So Seductive Cinema, and it's about Santa Claus. This ought to be interesting. It's well, it <laughs> it stars um, uh, Debbie Rashawn, okay. and and it's actually got uh, it's actually got uh, Carl. Oh shit, I'm blanking on his last name. It's got, well, he's got Harry Cooper and Helen Cooper in the movie. Both of those, both of them are in it. And I think Russell Striner's in it as well, if I remember right. But it is, it's, it's horribly shot, like on, on video. And it's, it's just an excuse to like, you know, just like most of the movies from that label is excuse to get some boobs on film. Because there's you know just a lot of stripping scenes and stuff, and just this guy who go who's a big fan of this of this scream queen played by Debbie Rashawn, and he's so obsessed that he puts on a Santa Claus suit and goes out and kills people with a garden hoe, and uh, that's that's about it. It's really bad. <laughs> Apparently, there's a sequel to this made at some point. There was a Midnight Two. See, okay, so. And in the uh, early 90s, Tempe Video, J.R. Uh, Bookwalter's label, uh, started acquiring, you know, they started actually building a little bit of a name for themselves for in, in distribution. Uh, and if you don't remember who J.R. Bookwalter is, he's the guy who made Dead Next Door. Yes, um, oh, I'm so sad I couldn't be on the zombie episode to help you stick up for that one, because that movie's so good. Yes, thank you. Ha! <laughs> anyway, um... And so his label was was starting to get out there a little bit. I mean, it still didn't have a a ton of distribution, but uh, but he was getting there. And he actually acquired a couple films. And I also know, this was also around the time um, around the time I was in and out of Pittsburgh. And I remember he had uh, Russo had made Heartstoppers, and it was done. And it, it had to have been done for like a year or two. And he could not find distribution about it. And I remember being at some little tiny Comic-Con in Pittsburgh where their main celebrity was Tom Savini, who didn't show up, and John Russo. And I just remember being at John Russo's table and just listening to his sob story about trying to find distribution for Heartstoppers. And it was like maybe like a year or two later, I see Heartstoppers is being released by Tempe Video along with Midnight was was being re-released by Tempe Video. And then, so and then um, an in-house production of Midnight Two. So now you're talking a lesser quality version of Midnight because it's <laughs> oh, shot God. on video, much like all of the stuff that the in-house stuff that was done on Tempe Video, um, and you know even probably worse acted and worse written. I had not seen Midnight Two, um, but I also know it was. I think it was directed by. Um, Oh shit! Now I forget his name. A uh, guy that did a lot of stuff for J.R. Bookwalter back in the day, um, and but I've seen some of his other stuff, and it's not very good. Uh, but I just, I just, I, I kind of chuckled to myself when that all happened too, because I know Russo was like really struggling to get Heartstoppers put out, 
And then, like, the last stop on the train has got to be Tempe Video. Because even with John Russo's name attached to it, it's not like it still had, like, a huge nationwide release or anything. You're probably talking only maybe, like, a, a few hundred units that get shipped out at best. So, yeah, so Midnight 2, I haven't seen it, but uh, everything I've read about it, it's, you know, it's definitely a stay away, so. Yeah, the I only thing I read... theme song, too. <laughs> the only thing I recognize <laughs> is it's got Charles B. Pierce's kid in it. Whoa. Okay. Okay. I I wonder if he sees the little creature in that one, too. I'm sure he does. (laughs) (laughs) Has anybody ever seen any of the other Russo or any other guys' stuff? Brian, you've surely seen Flesh Eater, right? Uh, Remind me what that one is again. It's it's, uh, the one that Bill Heisman wrote and directed. Where and stars him because he's basically playing his character, his cemetery zombie character uh, from Night of Living Dead, where you know, and it's a couple rednecks in the woods come across, come across this grave that's only covered by leaves, and they pull it back, and there's uh, you know, there's Bill Heisman, and he comes alive, and then it turns into just a big zombie outbreak movie. No, I have not seen that. Oh, okay, all right. I think after seeing the 30th anniversary <laughs> Night of the Living Dead, I have no interest in seeing anything else Bill Heinzman ever did. <laughs> All right. I just, like, I want to know, because I, I feel I feel a little vindicated here that at least a couple of you so far, I know I haven't heard from, there's some quiet ones on the show, so I have a feeling it's going to take a turn, but uh, <laughs> at least a couple of you so far as is on my page where it's like, yes, it's bad, but there's a charm about it. And I feel that way about all of those guys' movies. And I want to know how you guys think of those ones next. And i got to come up with topics to squeeze those titles into. <clears throat> but, Terry, you're being awfully quiet. What did you think of Midnight? I think I didn't get a chance to watch this one, so that's why I was being quiet. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, my bad. It's okay. Well, Tad, what about you? Please don't make me watch Midnight 2. <laughs> <laughs> Saying George Romero's name repeatedly when you're talking about this one is not doing it favors because it just makes me wa- want to watch something George Romero did. <laughs> exactly. But um, actually, there was some some stuff in this I did like. If you can overlook almost every performance in the movie. Um, there are some cool scenes. It's... It was watchable. It's not. I mean, it's it's fun. I like to poke fun at some of the bad movies or the, the not as I wouldn't say bad, not as good movies on the list. And I think that this is the first one I watched, and I was like, "Oh boy, we're in for another um, fun <laughs> podcast." But but usually usually I like I feel like I end up watching the good ones first, and then they all go downhill. So I I went for the opposite this time around, and um, <laughs> you know it's. It's it's there. I don't know. Um, I <laughs> it had, exists. I, I, yeah, I can't say a whole lot more than you guys said. Where some of the some of the performances, like when they they stop and the um, what is it the the black guys that run the church was like, oh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go that way. It's like what what's going on? I don't know. <laughs> so, some of the performances, the I don't know. I. I can't say I even I had a hard time even like paying attention during this one to be honest. Okay. It was it, I mean 
everything on this one this this episode has did at the very least entertain me besides this one it just didn't capture me the whole time but it wasn't sure. it wasn't god awful we've had there's there's i've watched much much, much worse, worse. <laughs> <laughs> cool. i thought the black mass sounded would look and sounded you know it sounded good at least uh, in terms of just the tone of it and kind of the ticking clock up now this person's gonna get killed now this person's gonna get killed and this person's gonna get killed and yeah. so i thought the the final act there was pretty well, we haven't. Have we touched yet at the fact that they had a mob eights in it that they were trying to bring back through sacrifice? Oh no, I guess we didn't. Which is probably yeah. the most elaborate Savini effect in the whole movie was the the dead mom corpse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like does. to have seen it successful. I would have liked to have seen it where like they killed a couple people in sacrifice, and then the mom's corpse get up gets up, and they all go, oh, shit, we didn't think that was actually going to work. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly it's just everyone versus mom. Uh, midnight 3. Jason, I'll yeah. make it. Yep. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, the third act is definitely, uh, definitely uh, uh, one of the better moments, even though there's... You know, I mean, uh, uh, did you guys pick up on the religious undertones of this movie? Maybe a little bit? <laughs> Through all the the hour-long prayers that she's doing in the cage? And, like, her, her the battle of the prayers at the end there, where they're doing the satanic, you know, um, ritual, and she's doing Christianity prayers or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, this one should have been called Rituals, and the uh, Rituals should have been called Midnight. <laughs> yeah! That would have been a lot closer. I agree. Alright, well that's cool. That, uh, that, that uh, kind of wraps things up there. Uh, any uh, honorable mentions anybody want to mention with uh, Hillbilly Horror? I already got I already got all wound up about Pig Hunt, but I'll give that one another call out. Everyone should see Pig Hunt. It's very cool. Yeah, and I almost put it on the list, but I'm like, ah, two pig movies? I don't know. Right, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And if you're going to go with a pig movie, it's got to be Razorback. Right. Right. Because it's awesome. Yes. Any, any others? Tucker and Dale. Tucker. Yes. yes. I almost put that on the list too, but I feel like that's one maybe we've talked about a lot. I don't remember. Yeah. But man, it's such a good movie. So funny. So funny. All right. I didn't get a chance to write down any honorable mentions myself, so. Okay. Um, let's move on. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, it'll be segments time here on, on Tiger Killer Podcast. Okay. You've been listening to the Phantom Podcast Network on downrightcreepy.com. Follow us on iTunes and SoundCloud for more creepy shows. <laughs> And we're back. Oh, I forgot to mention one thing about Midnight. (laughs) (laughs) So here's how deep my obsession goes with 
everybody that lives in Pittsburgh, apparently. John Russo wrote a book that I have, uh, and it's actually a really good book, so I don't know where he goes wrong, but it's um, it's Film School in a Book, Making Movies by John Russo. And I've, I've even, uh, you know, again, I think this is a pretty decent book. Uh, there's some really good advice here on, on independent filmmaking in there. And I've even heard of some um, some schools using this as as text in in some film classes. So there's some legitimacy to this book, but how he ends up failing so miserably as his own filmmak filmmaking goes, it kind of boggles the mind. But whatever. So, uh, but that's that's all I wanted to say there. So segments time here on Attack Your Killer <laughs> podcast. And we're going to start off with some shout-outs. It's time for... Shout-outs! 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 All right, ask, what are your favorite horror films with hillbillies, rednecks, and backwood bad guys? Up first, we got our pal Tim Lennerer says... <clears throat> I got to see Motel Hell and Deranged at a drive-in a little while back, and they were both really great. What? Motel Hell was like Texas Chainsaw oh. Massacre 2, but funny and good. Oh. Wait, what? And Deranged has a fantastic lead performance by Robert's Blossom as a profoundly damaged, quiet little man who causes a lot of death and suffering because his community looks right past him when looking for a murderer. I love both those movies. To see that on a drive-in screen, that would oh, yeah, be dude. fucking awesome. I'd imagine they were probably played off of the MGM Midnight <laughs> Movies DVD. Cause, it's a two-pack. Because that, that, I have that on DVD, and it's those two movies on a two-pack, yeah. Yeah, I've got that same DVD, but no, the drive-in does everything 35 millimeter. Oh, um, I, nice. I, I would kill to go out there and see some of the stuff they get to see, but it is literally double the drive for me that B-Fest is, and I can just never make it work. Tim gets to see all the good stuff. No shit. I know, right? The first time I ever got to see um, Deranged it was was back in the old bootlegging days. And it was boot, obviously bootlegged straight off of a 35mm print, so it really felt like getting to see a 35mm print. Tons of scratches, um, you see the cigarette burns, you know, jump cuts between the rails. Um, but, like, the coloring was so off on this print that the blood in the movie, like, it wasn't until I saw the DVD... The, the Midnight Movies DVD version of it that I realized the blood is actually supposed to be red because it was like a dark brown on this bootleg that I had. And I thought that was like an actual choice that they meant to have it that dark looking because it, it would look more disgusting in this kind of brownish color. <coughs> Up next we got Sean Davis. He says, Wrong Turn was good. Some of the sequels went off the rails, but they... We're still enjoyable. Yes, wrong turn is good. And then Tim Lennerer chimes in and says, I got to see the first wrong turn movie in a dollar show that smelled like piss. I was, <laughs> I was thrilled that it was just like a real grindhouse experience. My friend Brian W. was considerably less happy. <laughs> huh. Two enough. friends, Brian. That's not. Should, should only be one. Dustin, I, does that mean I'm going to have to chop the other guy's head off of the claymore? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think so. Okay. I was hoping that's what it meant. Uh, Dustin <laughs> Krutzinger says, Tucker and Dale versus Evil and Cabin Fever. Nice. Jacob McLaughlin says, Tucker and Dale versus Evil was one I just saw last year and it became a favorite horror comedy of mine. Great death, solid humor, and three main characters you genuinely care about. Jacob got to go with you guys too, right? Yeah. yeah. I thought he was hes bummed he didn't find a ticket and then he got one. So was... Yeah, there was, the ticketing situation was kind of a catastrophe this year, but they worked it all out. Good. Our pals Nightmare Junkhead says, In honor of Panic Fest, I will say Wrong Turn 2, Joe Lynch's debut. It's gory, it's sophomoric, and I love every second of it. Same here. Me too. It's, and it, you I ordered it, it'll ordered be here it. tomorrow. Yeah, so I can't wait for you to finally watch it. Finally. And Andrew Moeller says, Wolf Creek. High Lane. You know what, and I'm kind of pissed, okay. too, because... Um, been telling you to watch this movie for fucking years, and it takes everyone else telling you to watch it. Took it took Joe Lynch telling me, and I'm like, all right, Joe, fine. Yep. But don't fucking don't listen to me. Why should I start now? That's true. Wolf Creek, High Lane, House of a Thousand Corpses, and Devil's Rejects. There's some backwoods folks. Yeah, yeah. it's a good list. Uh, Katie Glidewell says, Hunting Ground? And Tourist Trap. Tucker and Dale versus Evil is my fave, but they are nice hillbillies. Yes, Tourist Trap, man. That movie is awesome. I like that one, too. Yes. and I, I like the riff tracks. <laughs> oh, it oh. does good riff tracks. Yeah, I forgot about that one. And Jason, like, next time you make a list of scores to track down... Tourist Trap should be on that list because yeah. it's got one of the freaking most insane scores of any horror movie. It it it's done. It's got like a lot of like, it, it's it's almost like it's all done in cartoon sound effects. Oh, that <laughs> sounds like it'll be fun to listen to. Waxwork or One Way Static. Somebody put that out on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last couple of years. Yeah, waxwork. yeah, yeah. It's a Pete. It's, a Pete, it's an early Pino Dinaggio. It's pretty good. Awesome. Willis Wheeler says, The Hills Have Eyes, the remake. Ow! (laughs) Eating Alive. Over the original? It's pretty good. It's good. Well, that's a desert. It's not really a... Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, there's still Hillbilly Redneck. Eating Alive. And the first few wrong turns. (laughs) Izzy Sutton says, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Hills Have Eyes, remake. Wrong turn. Oh, and the home episode of the X Files. Mm. Oh yeah. And then isn't Joe- that the one that did it get banned or did they just have to cut it way down before they showed it? There was some big controversy over that episode. I remember. Mm, I don't know. I'm oh, I've been a big X Files guy. Yeah. Well, Jill Six says. That X-Files is my fave. And then Izzy says, it's my favorite episode from the entire X-Files series. And then Jill's like, the Peacock family. I had it taped off TV. It scared the shit out of me when I first saw it at like 12 years old. And then Izzy's like, yes. And they kept the mom on that wheelie board under the bed. Man, that's a warped episode. Friggin' love it. Those two need to get a room. I know. (laughs) Oh, I think I remember that one now. It's like out at a house. I mean, I guess we're talking about the topic. I'm like, what episode? How am I supposed to know what episode that is? (laughs) 
Maybe the one with the hillbillies in it. Dirt. <laughs> <laughs> and then we got Randall no- Noel says, Inbred was decent. Ooh, I've been wanting to see that. Since a lot of people <coughs> mentioned the Wrong Turn franchise already, The Hills Have Eyes, I'll go with Inbred. Inbred. Okay. Edward A. Haynes Jr. says, Text Chainsaw Massacre and Wrong Turn. Amy Walker says, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Princey's someone made me watch it, and I'm so glad he did. <laughs> Unprincey's. There's a smiley face with a tongue sticking out. Anyway, I just love the <laughs> face that Mike's making right now. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> wrong turn was just wrong, she says. All right. Right. Derek Johns, he says, wrong turn, Motel Hell. Hills Have Eyes remake. Why is a lot everybody, of love. I like the remake, but why is everybody purposely like it's the better. remake? It's not better. No, it's not. It's not even good. Oh, it's so. Anyway, I don't know. I will give it's it. Good. I like it's good. I like it. I'll give it credit. But the remake is, or the original is bloodier. It's still better. Gorier. It's the remake. Wow. Yeah, and Cleaner. the first movie's so much more grosser without having to have a ton of gore in it, so... Yeah. Teresa Clark says, Frogs. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Not exactly hillbillies, but anyone who wants to watch Frogs, that's... Yeah. Love Frogs. <laughs> oh, Frogs. Janet Addis says, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Bobby Foy, whoever that is. Who? Bobby <laughs> She can't watch movies. She's too busy taking care of baby bunnies. Wait till you hear the answer, too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Eric Balfour. Who the fuck's Eric Balfour? Oh my god, she's talking about the remake, isn't she? She she loves the remake. I'm I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I don't particularly like the Hills Have Eyes remake, but I fucking hate the Texas Chainsaw one. I, I would consider it the biggest degradation from original to remake. The Wicker Man is a worse movie, but I get some pleasure out of it. I hate everything after the opening sequence of the, of the Chainsaw Massacre remake. Yeah. yeah. That opening sequence that. is pretty solid, though. Yeah. Camera traveling just, through the bullet wound. That's fucking, the bullet in the head. Just downhill from there. But, oh, you're, but you're working on her. I'm trying, yeah. Good. Not even downhill, it's just off a fucking cliff. (laughs) The only problem is is if I'm going to point out what's not good about it, I have to watch it again. (laughs) Not worth it, right? Alright, up next we got Jill Six. She says, everyone has stated the obviously best ones. Takes Chance to Massacre, Hills Have Eyes, Wrong Turn, Motel Hell is a good one to add to this list, and Rob Zombie's films, House of Thousand Corpses, and Devil's Rejects. You know, I guess I didn't think of them as enough of hillbillies to give them honorable mentions. But yeah, Devil's Rejects is another one of my favorites of all time. I fucking love that movie. So, mm-hmm. And then Izzy's like, those as well. And then Jill's like, oh, I love Wrong Turn. <laughs> go. I had a yeah. to say it. And then Jeez. Izzy's like, I thought the second was pretty rad as well, smiley face. <laughs> they were like, how much time can we waste on this podcast? <laughs> Yeah, why is they comment on anybody else's shit? Yeah, that's anyway. weird. Uh-huh. And, and then Jill's like, cabin fever. Okay. Yeah. No comments from Izzy on that one. All right. Up next, we got a big supporter, Don and Nelly. He says, 
I don't find a bad entry in the wrong turn franchise. And with Hills Have Eyes, Sex Chance, Massacre, and Motel Hell being mentioned, some of the others I enjoyed include 2000 Maniacs. Nice. Madison Solid County. Choice. Madison County. I've seen the, I've seen that on lists. I've seen the poster, but and, never seen the movie. And unfortunately, thirty one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> mentioning that movie just deflated the whole podcast. <laughs> Up next, we're all sad now. Manda Moo Bollinger, with two L's. So, not related. Oh, okay. But let's get back to Manda Moo. M-O-O. Manda Moo Bollinger. Tucker Omega and Dale. Omega Moo? <laughs> Tucker and Dale all the way. Yeah. Claire Barton says, Oh my God! But Wrong Turn was so awful. Seriously. Ah ha 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 ha. It was probably one of the worst I watched, and it's not a what? compliment here, LOL. My choice, what? Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Hills Have Eyes by Aha. Aja. Aja. Oh, Aja. Oh. So so you're going to take on me for a minute. Take I know. Take on me. <laughs> Up next, we have Linda Drake says Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> yes. There's a big smiley face on that one. That's Thanks, the award-winning comment to this one. Every time I, because of that, I have to put I put the word horror film in every time I ask <laughs> for shout-outs, and there's always Someone somebody. Needs to do a horror spoof of the Beverly Hillbillies. Ooh. That'd be awesome. Recut it. Put some dark I music on. I have a script in my head that's kind of like that. <laughs> Rob Zombies, Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> oh, that'd be if amazing. If it's Rob Zombie, it's got to be the Beverly Hellbillies. Ooh, good call. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, and then we got Jason Zbornick says, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. And lastly on Facebook, we got JT Smith says, Redneck Zombies was my party movie back in the late 90s. Yes! Sweet! Yeah. A couple of friends of mine made VHS copies of it, and we took that shit everywhere. I ended up leaving my copy at a strip bar after party. <laughs> Anyways, the, ass, the acid autopsy scene is still a favorite of mine today. I think you should tell more about this yeah, party, right? Yeah. <laughs> what? I can't top that, but Brian, do you remember a movie called Redneck County? Oh, yes. Yeah, we just watched it the one time, but I remember that being fun. <laughs> no what? zombies in it. That was like a moonshine uh, contraband movie, but yeah. Uh-huh. Why are you taking your VHS copy to a strip club party? <laughs> Clearly, he wants to watch the movie with strippers. He knows how to party. Or need to learn or something from this Getting guy. an autograph by a stripper or something. Who knows? Weird. <laughs> anyway, that's Facebook and over on Twitter... We got Chris Cook at Counting Cook says, Wrong Turn is a guilty pleasure watch. Wore out the DVD watching the makeup and special effects bonus content. Heck yeah, right? How is it a guilty pleasure? That's just a good movie. Yeah. I, I love the way it sets up the stuff during the opening credits with all the newspaper clips. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So if uh, you can also give us a call. <coughs> Um, call, leave a voicemail, let us know your comments for your shout-outs. You can call us at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. 
And that's shout-outs. Looks like you kids are fixing to do some camping up in the hills. Word of warning, you want to watch out for the old hermit who lives in those woods. Insane Mike Saunders, the locals call him. Most of the time he keeps to himself, making his moonshine and skinning woodchucks for fun. They say, though, that every once in a while he gets taken over by some dark spirit of the woods. Goes into a sort of trance-like and makes these weird sculptures out of old videotape. Lord knows where he finds that out in the woods, but he does. His hand guided by this spirit, the sculptures tell him of certain movies. He is compelled to watch them and make others watch them too. Anyone he finds around his place when the vision takes him, he'll chain them up in his shack and prop their eyes open with pine needles, force them to watch the movies. They can drive people mad. There's still one feller up in the county asylum what's been there for five years now. Doc says he's like to never get his mind back. So you go on and have your camping trip and your fun and best of luck to you. Just see you don't fall prey to insane's picks. That's two accents on this episode. I'm so happy. Nice. <laughs> okay, so in keeping with our conversation at the beginning of the show about Panic Panic Fest, I, um, I'm doing my Insane's picks on the other movie that we watched other than Victor Crowley and, and Mayhem is I really enjoyed this movie and I feel like it totally fits in the world of Insane's picks. Yeah. And uh, it's a movie called Low Life. And, Brian, I really want you to see this movie. I think you okay. would really enjoy it. Just because, on the surface, it uh, it just seems like a carbon copy Tarantino crime film. You know, if you were to write out the plot on a piece of paper, you would be like, why would I want to watch this? It just seems like just another Tarantino ripoff. But it's the off-the-wall characters that makes this movie... Uh, on it, uh, stand on its own, and utterly amazing. So it's so the film is kind of this gruesome yet darkly comedic crime drama set in a par in, in a, a po- poverty and crime ridden LA neighborhood, and it's split up into three segments, much like a Tarantino film, like a like a Pulp Fiction. Uh, the f- one segment is titled Monsters, another one's titled Friends. And the third is titled Thugs. And each one of these introduces our collection of oddball characters. The, the first one being El Monstro, a failed luchador who never breaks character. <laughs> who's only sold. See? Right? <laughs> whose only mission is to live up to his father and his grandfather's legacy as the previous El Monstros, who were considered gods and heroes in the Mexican community. Then there's Crystal, the motel owner who sold her baby years ago at the height of her drug addiction. Then there's also Randy and Keith, two best friends that meet again after Randy is released from prison. Both grew up together in Compton, and when Randy gets out of prison, Keith, a black man, is shocked and disgusted to see that his white Eminem wannabe best friend um, uh, gets into the car. Gets into his car with a giant, huge swastika tattoo covering his entire face. Entire face. <clears throat> and yet, 
he's not racist because he's still you know walking and thugging and bugging like uh you know like some some black rapper <clears throat> all of them all of them have ties to Teddy, the local mass murdering crime boss and white slave uh, white slave owner who kidnaps and murders illegal immigrants for their organs or enslaves them for his prostitution rapering. El Monstro works as as Teddy's top henchman while trying to ignore the various horrifying aspects of the job. He's expecting a baby with Kayla, a woman giving, uh, a woman given, um, given as child to Teddy from her mother Crystal and hopes that his child will one day fill the shoes of El Monstro's legendary and heroic luchador bloodline, something that El Monstro has failed to do himself and is ridden with guilt over. Long story short, each of these lives end up coming together um, one day when Teddy kidnaps Kayla and they all team up to to, uh, free Kayla and take down Teddy in an amazing, gory bloodbath shootout. Oh, dude, this movie is awesome. Just the just these over the top characters, yet it's played a hundred percent straight. No one thinks twice about this guy running around in a suit and a and a luchador mask. Everybody just accepts him as El Monstro, and it's not a big deal. And then when like you know Hispanic people see him, they're like, "Oh, El Monstro, you have come to save us." Because, you know, El Monstro is this big hero. But he is the smallest of his family and has never been successful as the Mexican wrestling legend that his father and his grandfather was. And there's some great moments where, like, he will go into blind rages and he'll black out. And we don't see what he does. We always see the aftermath because when he blacks out, we black out with him. And so it cuts to him passed down on the floor. And when he wakes up, you see the massive mayhem that he has caused uh, surrounding him. And it's it's utterly hilarious. But it, you just kind of question there for the longest time, should I be laughing at this? Because everything is played so straight and it, it gets really dark at times. You know, there's just a lot of people, you know, the, the, the Kayla character who is pregnant with El Monstro's baby is also a hardcore drug addict. And so, you know, and then there's the opening scene is scenes of these illegal immigrants um, getting rounded up and getting, and getting uh, cut up and harvested for organs while the female ones are thrown into these rooms and sold off as sex slaves. So, so there's a lot of really dark content in here, but it to me it's utterly her- hilarious by by these outrageous characters, like the uh, like Randy, the guy with the swastika on his face. Uh, you know, obviously he was attacked in prison, and they tattooed that on his face because he's not racist at all. But there's like one moment he gets out of the car in this Hispanic neighborhood and just gets the shit beat out of him because he's got this big old swastika on his face. And um, and the way it ends with with that character in particular is just like amazing and awesome. So uh, I don't know what the distribution is going to be like on this film. It comes out June sixth, right? Ju- June sixth, but is that just going to be like VOD or is there physical? I just, that's the part I don't know. But when it does come out, definitely need to check it out. 
it is an amazing movie. It's called Low Life, and yeah, it's it's a ton of fun. And Jason and Tad, if you want to add anything uh, to it as well, since you guys got to see it also. Well, I can't really add much to what you said without spoiling anything. Yeah. Um, it, it was really highly regarded by Joe Lynch and Adam Green as they saw it at different festivals. Well, Joe saw it for first right before Panic Fest, and Adam had seen it at, I, I don't remember which festival they mentioned, but um, it's it's a lot of fun. Like you said, they play it completely straight, but um, you, it's, it, you laugh along with it sort of tongue-in-cheek but um yeah it's it's it was a lot it was a blast to watch with the crowd i'm curious to see how it holds i'm curious to see how it holds up to rewatches yeah and i i probably shouldn't hyped it up too much because i know um because of joe and adam's recommendations it got hyped up a little bit too much for you and jason is that correct yeah uh yeah just a little bit yeah they were they were comparing it to the level of Pulp Fiction, and it's like you don't compare anything to Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, but there's just something about this movie, and probably because it's got a, a luchador in it. But it really, really clicked with me, so um, <coughs> I can't wait to uh, to see it again myself. So, Jason, yeah, it's just land. it's just cool because you know at the end it's a a luchador of a white wrapping a white guy with a giant swastika, swastika on, on his face yeah and a drugged and he, out hotel owner with a gun team up to take down the bad it's the it's worst fucking, superhero team ever is what it so is it's so cool and um but another thing i i really like the teddy character too because there's that there's a moment there's those moments in the third act when it i think it's hilarious but i it's not really, it's not, they don't really hang on it, so you could easily miss it, but did you guys catch that he is the worst shot ever? Like, he shoots up that hotel room where all four of them are standing in, and doesn't hit a single one of them. Well, except for he does, uh, Keith gets hit in the arm, but everyone else is okay. But it was like close range in this tiny hotel room, and he unloads his gun in there, then he gets like a machine gun out of his car, shoots that in there, and everybody, everybody's okay. So, and even at the end, he's like shoot. He's like point blank shooting at El Monstro, and it takes like several shots before he finally gets a hit on him. So, I, I assume that was intentional. Like this big bad crime boss is one of the worst shots ever. Oh uh, yeah, they spend. Mean... No, I think you're right because they they humanize him several times throughout the movie where he's they portray him as a badass, but he he's always seems to be fumbling or doing something that you can relate to where it humanizes him very yeah. much so and and he does all of his crime stuff in the basement of his um his taco restaurant <laughs> in the basement of his taco restaurant which i wondered if some of the uh, meat harvesting was for the restaurant too yeah the thing i think i like looking at this movie um and hearing from the cast and crew is when stuff like this comes out, it's no matter how great or hyped up or anything it was, it's just, it's, it's like a small miracle that 
on like they they brought this um, script around and somehow raised money enough to make it because you're sitting here telling people who haven't seen it before and they're and if you listen to what Mike's saying, it's like this movie shouldn't be like how the hell did they get this made? They can't get <laughs> Yeah, we we can't get another Friday Thirteenth movie off the ground, but somehow we got this crazy fucking luchador, you know, and a guy. Somehow in today's age, we have a movie with a guy whose entire face is a is just a big swastika, and he that's what it is through the whole movie. Yep, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> Definitely crazy. Can I ask you a serious question, Mike? Me? Yeah. Would now would now listen. Would you dress up as a minotaur for me? No, no, <laughs> no. Again, you want to check out the bonus episodes for that one for kids. Um, and you can only check out the bonus episode by donating to our Patreon. Anyway, go ahead. Would you like this movie as much if it wasn't a luchador? No, seriously, I don't think I would because uh, it's the because ca- <laughs> it's Fair, the characters honest. that yeah. make the movie. Mm-hmm. And and seventy five percent of that is the luchador because he's the most outrageous character between him, and between him and Randy with the swastika on his face, those two sell the movie for me. Because you take that away, then it's just another run of the mill. It's not though. I was actually I'll actually defend it because that's what I assumed the you'd story. Say. Yeah, because well, it I does mean, get darker the than your typical you Tarantino film. The gimmick brought you in. Yeah. But it's actually still really, really well written, and that's why you would probably still <coughs> like it. It's real well written, sure, yeah. but it's still, it's got those like moments of like, oh, this is just this is just ripping off Tarantino. Right really? down to right down to. There's only one thing. Couple things. Oh. What was the one thing you just were just the the, what do they what do they call it the fragmented storytelling the fragmented storytelling. The Which the, is, the is, titles for each segment having a title screen for each segment. Yeah, but that's little things. It's not a big deal. Like it's and the segmented be, part is actually really cool. And the way they really do cool it is, is, is the they story. do a good job with it. Yeah. It's more of like a way to weave them together, not like oh fuck, I got to put this together later at the end. Uh, they overlap and in a really cool way. Sorry, Ted. No, and to be fair, I mean Tarantino's whole career is based off of ripping off other right. filmmakers that came so. before him. So exactly. it's only fair it that true. that our next generation continues <laughs> doing the same to him. I'm just saying, for me, who doesn't go too far into the these crime dramas, I almost said the T word. Um, <laughs> that doesn't go too farther into crime dramas beyond Quentin Tarantino. Like, I don't know if I would have cared about this movie otherwise. It is, yes, you're right, it is still well written. And the device of, of the segmented storytelling works really well in it. And it does have some really dark elements that you wouldn't normally see in these type of movies. We're talking drug harvesting, you know, um, you know, sex slaves, and everybody, is, everybody in the movie is all addicted to drugs, and or alcoholics, or whatever, so... It's all very dark and damaged characters. So, well, you, you were asking. Um, Jason asked you, you know, about the luchador thing, and it sort of relates to them. They were talking about, or that during the Q and A, they said, you know, 
well, you were having, you know, I don't, I don't know how you made, how you got funding for this movie. And they said, you know, well, we had some, some major issues when one of our financers dropped out and we had to do it for less. Um, but they also said, you know, when they were making it, they had several studio, several of the investors were saying, you know, well, this, this guy's whole face has to be covered with swastika. How about we just have like a swastika tattoo on his neck or I'll have it on, you know, under his eye or, or here. And they did not budge. And they said, no, because that's what this character, that's what makes this character. What it is, is that he, his entire fucking face is one giant swastika. Mm -hmm. If you, if you, if you make it any smaller, it loses the entire effect. You might as well not have him. So I feel like the luchador thing, I mean, it's not just, I mean, yeah, they play it straight. Like everybody in the movie sort of acts like he's not a luchador, but it does, it does, um, it's not just a dude wearing a mask. It relates to the story in many ways and how, he, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but yeah. it's, it does come play into the story. It's not just a luchador to be a luchador. It's not yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, I, it's not like a lot of, I feel like, um, where some other filmmakers be just, weird. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to be like, Oh, look, you know, for a cool looking poster, or, you know, I mean, it does make yeah. for a very, very cool poster, <laughs> but it does. It, there's a purpose to why why he's a luchador, why he's in this movie, and it's a motivation for something. So exactly, and his performance is awesome too. It is really good. He does a really good job with it, and there's some great some great dialogue moments, there's some really sympathetic moments with this character. Yet at the same time, some really funny moments with this character too, and all done with the same with the same compassion, you know, like every other scene. The scene. At the at the girl's birthday party, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like his opening scene in the movie is freaking awesome. He's given his whole the whole history of El Monstro to this little girl, and she's like, "Are you supposed to be a clown? Are you here to entertain <laughs> me at my party? What are you doing here?" And I will say, my second viewing will not be nearly as good because I won't have Mike Reeves sitting next to me. <laughs> Um, That's right. Laughing his fucking ass off during the whole thing. Yeah. So, uh, I want to see more just, movies with that guy. He's fun me, to watch movies. Me too. With. Me too. We got to have him on on this show too. So. We totally do. You hear that, Mike? We got to get you on. All right. Okay. So cool. So that wraps it up. That wraps up another episode of Attack of the Killer podcast. Uh, a few leaving final thoughts here. Uh, don't forget, we got our Win and Attack of the Killer podcast t-shirt contest uh, going through the month of February and March. And you can win the shirt by... You can enter to win the shirt by leaving an iTunes review. While you're there, you might as well just hit that subscribe button. It's just one extra thing you got to do. Uh, not a big deal. One more button to push. Come on. Give me a break already. <clears throat> and also, if you uh, if you like the show, you want even more amazing Attack of the Killer podcast content like videos and bonus episodes go to patreon uh, patreon.com backslash aotkp donate today to get tons of amazing extra content to fulfill the rest of your life with killer podcast goodness so thanks everybody for listening thanks guys for being on this was a fun one this was a good episode um and we will talk to you all again soon here on attack of the killer podcast bye-bye Oh no, could this be the end of? Attack of the Killer! <laughs>